Hi, I'm Josh. And I'm Lindsay. And this is the Hideaway Podcast, episode 67. I think that was German. Hello, 2019. We are back. <laughs> We're back. It's been a long time. It's been a while. It's been since, I don't know, September maybe? Since oh, before geez. we got into rehearsals for Beyond Babel. Yeah. So maybe July. Oh my God. No, I think we put one out with um, Philip Petit later oh, in July. Oh yeah. Okay. Jeez. In any case, we're back. We're back. <laughs> and we're going to come at you with a brand new format for yeah. the Hideaway podcast. We've been listening to a lot of Joe Rogan's podcast and feel inspired by the slightly longer uh, length and of the interviews, particularly yeah. how they're a bit more uh, expansive than just people's biographies. Talk a little bit more about uh, current events and what's going on in the industry and let the conversations wander a little bit. So for the next couple of episodes, you're going to be listening, if you listen all the way through, to interviews that are for sure over an hour and some getting closer to two hours. Yeah, but I think it's, it gives you more um, customization, let's say, as a listener, because you can either listen to the full thing, you can listen to just a little bit, you can fast forward. There's just more content for you to go through, uh, which I, as a listener, enjoy on other podcasts. So I think um, we still have the questions at the end. So if you want to know those, you can always skip to the end. But I do think it's a better conversation. It's a more natural, free-flowing conversation, not just question and answer. And we have a great guest to kick uh, this episode off with. We're sort of calling this season two of the podcast, everything season two these days. <laughs> uh, his name is Mark Gindick. He, I've known him for, I don't know, probably 10 years now. But Mark is the only person to have been a clown in Ringling, Cirque du Soleil, and Big Apple Circus. And he lives in New York, has worked all over the U.S., internationally as well. And we just hit some really, really interesting topics. Mark is actually currently in the Big Apple Circus, so we talk about this, your show a little bit, uh, comedy, clowning. I think uh, it's a good way to start off the new year. Good interview. Yeah, and I, after we interviewed Mark, I went and saw a Broadway play called Network. I watched the movie at home while you were watched the it. movie while I watched the show. It is a, I guess, an adaptation of an old movie. From when? The 1970s? From the 70s, 70s, I think. But it was directed originally by Sidney Lumet, who's a, a famous uh, film director from the 20th century who was known for his work with actors, both uh, Faye Dunaway and I think his name is Peter Russell, mm-hmm. won the Oscars for their uh, movie their version. So the, 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 the play version is directed by Ivo von Hove, and if anyone follows his career, he's an amazing director that does a lot of kind of I would say he breaks down the concept of what a play is and kind of restructures them and keeps the audience guessing and I think this play maybe would have been boring but because he's such an interesting I would say experimental director um I was constantly surprised and um Brian Cranston was the lead and then the guy who plays the the president on scandal he was the other like counterpart I would say he's better on tv than on stage but I couldn't watch him because all I thought was he's the president on Scandal. He's like the president. Well, you know, Evo actually spoke at Columbia when we were there. I don't know if he spoke in a class that you were in, Lindsay, but he's he has a theater in Holland that is actually like multi-million dollars, super well funded. So he's able to do a lot of uh, remakes of either old classical plays or turning movies into... He has a lot of turning movies into plays, actually, like famous old mm. movies. 
does a lot of stuff with video, a lot of stuff with uh, weird sets, very bare bones acting. But this was originally from the National, which is a theater, probably the biggest theater in the UK, government sponsored. So a lot yeah. of money being thrown around for this. It was production. really cool, but there was a there was a bit of drama in the beginning. Well, actually, the whole show. So this guy in one of the booths, I guess you call it, I uh, he was talking so loud, and an audience member, an audience member, and I was like, everyone kept looking up at him. And then the tech guy, the tech booth was in the in the little seating booth behind him, and I looked up and I saw the tech guy throw a piece of paper at him, and he was like, "Shut the f up." And I was like, yeah, you, but then he kept talking and an usher came and clearly told him to stop talking, but then he made an even bigger scene. It was like, do you want me to stop talking? And started screaming. And it was in the middle of this really serious, like scene where he admits to having an affair and the poor actors on stage, they kept going, but it definitely was an experience that I felt like added to the play. A little bit of chaos for you. <laughs> and uh, for those of you who've been wondering before we get into you, like where we've been, why we haven't been doing episodes, Lindsay and I have spent the last five months now uh, working on our new show, Beyond Babel. We turned a warehouse in San Diego into a theater for this show. I know we've been doing podcasts, but we did make a documentary about uh, this show, how we made it. So the whole thing's on YouTube. Just search behind Babel. So there is more content from us for the last six months that you can watch online yeah. at your pleasure and see our sort of whole journey of turning a warehouse into a theater, opening this new dance show. It ran for 10 weeks and then we added no, three, 13. Well, I was oh. going to say we added three more weeks on because it was doing so well. Uh, and we're bringing it back starting February 1st. Tickets went on sale last week. I'm sure you'll hear a lot more about the show from us in the in the coming weeks. But check it out. Beyondbabbleshow.com. Lindsay's crushing it on the Instagram at, <laughs> at Beyond Babble Show. But that's uh, that's really where our focus has been. And it's hard to, you know, when we're not in New York at the computer we're at right now, which has our whole little home studio, to do a podcast. It also didn't help that we moved at the same time. So it's taken yeah. me like four months to get the studio back up and running. But here we go. Ready for a whole bunch of new episodes for 2019. Yeah. And I think in 2019, we're also going to obviously focus on circus, but just focus more on creators and people who create and in whatever genre of life that is um because i think you can learn a lot about your own craft through other people's um you know expertise in different areas so and the lines are constantly blurring yeah you know like Lindsay's background is theater as you know if you listen to this podcast regularly and mine is circus and for the last year we've been working in dance yeah. so <laughs> there's a lot of different things that we can sort of tackle and talk about and people who we can speak to and i think as uh, trends have been going, all of the lines between these disciplines are just continuing to blur and become multidisciplinary. So hopefully you guys find it interesting. Mark, our guest today, is both a clown, an actor, and a dancer. He doesn't really call himself a dancer, but every time I've seen Mark <laughs> on stage, he's dancing. Yeah. So uh, it's a good way to uh, start it off. Here is our interview with Mark. <laughs> well, we were just all talking and then yeah. we were like, we should record. And now, but so we're going to try something new this season. Okay. Just talk. Let's just talk. Let's just talk. Yeah. More, more uh, just windy, long form, unstructured. Yeah. Unstructured. But, but we so... can start with the same question that we usually start with, which is where are you from, Mark? Yeah, I'm originally from New York. I grew up in, well, on the border of Eastchester and Scarsdale, New York. 
we or technically the house was in East Chester, but because we're kind of like right on the border and have the, the zip code of Scarsdale, <laughs> I was able to go to the Scarsdale school system. Oh. Thank goodness. And uh, yeah, that's where I'm from. New York or born and raised. Whoop, whoop. Were you doing like acting and dance and all that kind of stuff as a kid? No. No, I, I, I am and was a very shy human. Um, my physicality and my performance, I guess, comes from... I, I did martial arts, Taekwondo, mm. for like 18 years. Uh, and um, that's that's where I kind of got my love for like physicality. Um, what makes Taekwondo different from, like I don't know, karate or something? Taekwondo um, is a sport. So uh, basically... It's the one that's in the Olympics, the first martial art that was yes, in the Olympics. An Olympic, the a girl who's representing the U.S. in the Olympics in Taekwondo yeah. came to see our show, yeah. Beyond Babel, and like she did the Olympic rings on her like what are you Beyond tag? Okay. And where's the Olympics next year? Uh, next time? I don't know. Uh, Brazil. Uh, I don't Three? know. I, don't I forget, know. but she was like Beyond blank. Oh, like, okay. And I was like, but shouldn't you not be beyond that? Don't you want to get there? You've already been there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, it's I didn't a... know that, though, until I saw her tag, because I was like, wait, what? Is Taekwondo an Olympic sport? Right, 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 right. Taekwondo is like less of like a martial, like a, like a self-defense and more of like a sport about like scoring points and this sort of thing. But the this, the particular school that I went to, we, it was like an infusion of everything. So I, I ended up studying with the, or training with the Olympic team back in the day. <laughs> nice. Uh, but I'm too short. No, I was gonna say, uh, is yeah. it is being short They're, good? No, no, really, because people's arms and legs oh. are really long. So oh, <laughs> it's kind of no. like that little guy, you know, you put your hand on his forehead and you're like trying you to like swat. Right. Uh, so that's too short, but um, but yeah, so that's like yeah, that's my my love for physicality and performance, you know, because we do like uh, tournaments and demos and this sort of thing. So we would right. put, like choreography and there's together pressure there and pressure there, and people are watching you and. So yes. were your parents like he's gonna be a professional taekwondo? Yeah, back in the day. So my so so this is the story. I'm I'm eight years old and I just one afternoon I watched Enter the Dragon and American in Paris. And I said to my dad, Hey dad, I, I either want to take karate or or dance class. He said, You'll take karate. <laughs> so me and my dad every Sunday would take karate or taekwondo together. Um uh and uh that was kind of like the start of everything and before my dad died, my dad died when I was 19. The idea was that we were just going to open our own karate school. And, and that's what I was going to do. With oh, my wow. Life, you wow. Know? And then my dad died. And then I was like, mm, this is kind of too depressing for me. And maybe I, maybe I right. want to just like do something else. So until your dad died at 19, you were like, I'm going to do this karate thing. We're going to open this up. That was my life. I lived and breathed martial arts. Wow. Yeah. I studied some jujitsu and some, some uh, Aikido and all these other stuff as well. And, and uh, yeah, that's my that was my passion. That's like all my friends were going out to like house parties and things. And I'd be like, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to go train in the basement. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was dumb. But the, the story you... of your dad dying is an interesting one. Yeah. Because, you know, you have been writing a one man show about it, which we saw. Yeah. But maybe you want to talk about that. Yeah. So mm, my dad kind of set me on the track of being a performer without like really knowing it because um, he, when I was a kid, he would expose me to Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton and all those movies. Mm -hmm. And they were um, short, right? Yeah. Yeah. They were short. <laughs> and uh, uh, so um, when I was in college, I was studying filmmaking. I wanted to be a film director and um, 
I decided that at one point in my college career, I'm going to take a break and go to clown college to learn these techniques of physical comedy for real so I can put them in my filmmaking. Oh. So I went to clown college. Ringling. Ringling Brothers and Barnum Billy Clown College in Sarasota, Florida. Is there anybody else in your class notable? Yeah. Uh, Steve-O was in my class. Oh, nice. Matt Morgan was in my class. Ambrose Martha, the, the happy hour guys. Uh, Matt Walker, does that name film? Yes. The L.A. guy is pretty, pretty, he's doing it. He's got a company called the Troubadours out in mm-hmm. L.A. Doing, killing it out there. Um, anyway, yeah, so, so I went to clown college and I was like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Who was the head of, of clown college at the time? That was Dick Monday. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. And what was the process like auditioning for Clown College? Yeah, so basically... Um, Are you funny? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, well, I never performed before, right? So, like, I mean, like, a little bit here in high school, you know, like a little talent show or whatever, but I wasn't like, I'm going to be a performer. So um, so I was terrified. Uh, and do you want to know the real, like, the long yeah, story? Yeah, The short story. So the long... long, the long <laughs> Um, the long story is, so I was, it was a very snowy day in New York and I was in Scarsdale, New York and, and my buddy was going to drive me to the auditions in Madison Square Garden. So back they in the did day, auditions at Madison's, oh, wow. back in the day, every Pressure. city they would go to the Ringling Brothers, that's where they would hold their auditions. So LA would have one, New York would have one, Chicago would have one. So I happened to be in New York, so uh, thank goodness. And uh, it was a crazy snowy day, and it was. My, I looked out the window; it was like four feet of snow. I'm like, "There's, there's no way I'm getting there." No, anyway, sorry. So my buddy looks out the window and says, "Let, I'll be there in 20 minutes." So what would normally take you like about 40, 40 minutes, 35 minutes right. tops, took us about three hours to get to Manhattan. Yeah. In the car, we're like sliding all over the place, <laughs> and I'm like, "Hey, man, if I get this, if I get into Clown College, we're gonna have a giant house party." I'm going to just celebrate, which I knew was like in my head. I was like, I'm never going to get into clown college to begin with. And uh, I had never like drank or anything like that. You know, I was a <laughs> martial artist, man. I was strict, you know. Anyway, so long story short. So I, I get to Madison Square Garden and essentially the audition was like, um, you know, the show Whose Lines in Anywhere? Yes. Definitely. So it's like an improv games. Okay. Essentially. And uh, and we, we just did some improv games and, and I was like, well, I sucked at that. There's no way I'm going to get in this thing. And then I got in. And I was oh great, uh, and that's when my dad was actively dying, so I deferred it a year, and then I went in 1997, and uh, from there, uh, got a contract to go on Ringling Brothers Circus, and then I was on Ringling Brothers Circus. But weren't you like, hold on, I gotta go back to college? So I didn't go back to college yet. So right from Clown College, I I got the contract for well the long the the. Really what happened was those were the years in clown college where they would take the graduating show and they'd bring the graduating show to the mm. Wolf Trap Children's Festival. So that was my first like proper wolf gig. Trap? It sounds like the Von Trap. Von Trap, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it was in uh, Washington. It was close to Washington. It was in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And um, so we did that festival with, uh, uh, oh, Bob. Bob, what was the Bob from Sesame Street? What was those last oh, name? Oh, Bob! Oh my God, I loved Bob. Bob, not not Seeger. What's his last name? No. no, Bob. His I have a signed photo of him. He was amazing. Yes, on Sesame him. Street, he was like my favorite yeah. character. First Bob. time I met him was during rehearsals. We need like a Googler, like. Bob. 
Joe Rogan has. Like, yeah. gee, we need like a yeah. no, look him up, Bob. Look him up, Bob. Yeah. But you keep talking. Yeah. So we did that show, and then from there, I got mm, my first proper Ringling gig, which was the um, Texas State Fair, where we would do four shows a day of the graduating show. Bob, Mc- no. Bob McGrath. Bob McGrath. That's there it. There we go. Yep. Bob McGrath. Yep. Yes. Yep. Sweet oh old man. Four shows a day. So you've been doing this like three, four show a day thing forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when we got the gig on, so when I got offered the gig from from the Texas State Fair to go on Ringling, and they were like, yeah, two to three shows a day. I'm like, well, that's cake. Let's do that. You know? <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah. So then I went to Ringling Brothers for a year. And then after Ringling Brothers for one season, I went back to school to finish as drama instead of film because I knew I wanted to be an actor instead of behind the camera. Where were you at school? SUNY Purchase oh. College. Keeping it in New York. Keeping it in New York. Um, <laughs> so I could commute from home. And uh, and that's where I wrote my first one-man show, which was called How to Be a Man, which was an instruction manual. I thought there was a theme yeah. going in your one-man show. Right. Yeah. And I think it's all about my relationship or non-relationship with my dad you know my dad died as i was growing like right on the cusp of becoming a man so there's all this stuff that i never learned you know now he never taught me how to shave he never you know taught me about birds and the bees and all these other things like that just never that just didn't happen for me so there's kind of like this hole that's in my oh my god now we're now we're turning into like therapy should i lie down no (laughs) (laughs) i mean you so it was called how to be a man interesting yeah yeah so it was an instruction manual there's a book with a voiceover who was who was live and he was a great improviser and he could like play on the on on, in the in the moment where uh chris carney if you're out there somewhere is a very talented guy um uh yeah where he would you know, there were segments that were written that he'd be reading, but then there was like, oh, when I went to go get an audience member, oh, the guy in the gray shirt with the Nike symbol. Yeah, he needs to, you know, and then we yeah. would pull him up on stage. But you never felt like you needed to do something more normal with your life? Meaning like being a doctor or a lawyer or something? Yeah, or just like, I don't know, not pursuing the arts? Yeah, uh, you know, it's funny, when I was a senior in high school, I was like, I guess I have to apply to college. Like... I just never, I, I was never, I was never a, what do they call it, like an academic, like I was never good in school, I'm dyslexic, which was never, I was never a, a certified dyslexic, a classified oh, cla- dyslexic yeah, until I was in college. Diagnosed. Diagnosed, yes. Diagnosed. So I was, a, if I got a C in yeah, high school. certified feels like you've won something. I, that's a winning thing. I'm dyslexic. <laughs> yes. Officially certified as dyslexic. Yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, so I was, if I got a C in high school, it was like a celebration. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> and um, were your parents tough about that, or did they not really care? They didn't. I mean, my parent, my my mom was a what well, is a hippie, so she was just kind of ha- if I was happy, I should, if I was happy, she was happy. My dad was a corporate lawyer uh, who hated his job, so mm. if I was happy, he was happy. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, are you the only child? I have a twin sister. You do? Oh. How did I not know that? And I have an older sister. Uh, my older sister is a physical therapist and lives in Rhode Island. And my twin sister is my complete opposite. We are as opposites as opposites can be. Um, and she's got two kids in, uh, she lives in Armonk. So she have a very normal job? She's a mom. Yeah, mom. There you go. That's, That's what a she normal does. job. And it's, it's an amazing job. And she got her... Uh, a certification as a speech pathologist because she's a brilliant musician mm-hmm. and singer. Um, but 
you know you, you there's not a heartache as you are becoming a musician or an artist as we know yeah. which is yeah. why I think we're so opposite we're right you can I handle think, it <laughs> yeah well she's got all the talent and I got all the drive you know right. the way I look at it right. you know well you have some talent Oh, luck. Some, <laughs> some. But I, I, I do want to talk about your dad's death because it is an interesting story. Yeah. And psychology of like your life a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, my dad died. So I'm writing this new show, as you were saying before. What's it called again? It well, right now it's it's a working title. Okay. Right now it's called Death Defying Shtick. Okay. Wait, what was it when we saw the reading? What did I call it? Then? Was it like Death Day or Birthday? It was like something like this. Uh, so I don't remember what I called it. I don't remember either. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, up, working later. title. Working title. Anyway, uh, so my dad died on May 29th when he was 51. My uncle, who I was also very very close to, was exactly 10 years younger than my dad, and also died on May 29th when he was 51. My grandmother died on May 29th when she was 71. And my grandfather died. This is all on the same side of the family. Died on April 29th. And he was like 80-something. So, you know, it broke the mold a little bit. But it's there's this theme. Like and they all died from cancer. The same kind? No, all different kinds of cancer. So I feel like I'm going to play like the... the, the little cancer lottery. The lottery. Ding-ding-ding-ding-ding-ding. Liver! Okay, again. Um, uh... So, yeah, so this has always kind of been ringing in the back of my head and um, and death and and defying death and or acceptance of death or, you know, all that kind of stuff um, and manhood and everything else. So that's kind of the 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 seed, I think, of my work, you mm -hmm. know, and I think because of this um, relationships have always been hard for me. So. Whenever I think of clowning and when I'm teaching clowning, whenever I always call it a relationship because you always have, if you're on stage with somebody else, you're having a relationship with that person on stage. Mm -hmm. Or if you're on your stage by yourself, you're having a relationship with the audience. And so I'm able to like live out those, those relationships that I kind of missed out on, mm -hmm. on, the, on a kid on stage. How would you, just sort of pivoting a little bit, but I'm hoping that over time our audience for the podcast develops from not just circus performers, but to people who are into dance and theater as we do that more in our careers. Yeah. For people who are not in the circus, how would you, if they're taking clowning like 101, like describe what a clown is, at least these days, and like what what that is? Yeah, I have no, I have no idea how to describe clowning. You know, <laughs> no, no idea. Uh, um, I would say when I... So I, I do a lot of teaching some to actors and dancers and artists. And I'm writing a book right now, too. You are? About, yeah, we'll tell you about that later. But yes. um, whenever I describe, like, what the difference, the, you know, the very thin lines, it's all, like, shades of gray. It's all, like, the same path to the top of the mountain, whatever that is, if we ever get to the top mm -hmm. of the mountain. But um, for me, it's just it's describing the extension of themselves, and your own, what what is your voice? Mm -hmm. We all have our own personal voice as artists, and I think clowning the is the is one of the greatest doors to figure out what that voice is. Because for me, I'm not playing another character when I'm Mark the Clown. It's mm -hmm. just an extension of me. And depending upon if I'm on stage or behind a camera or on a ring, that's how much I turn the dial up. Mm -hmm. You know, I was recently watching um, Sasha Baron Cohen's newest show called uh, "Who Is America." Yeah, and then which I loved, and then yeah. reading again, I've seen everything he's done, 
just about his background, and he studied that I think Lecoq, yeah. and everything is sort of clowning based in him. Yeah. But he talks about how like the character basically needs each of his characters, which are essentially clowns, need to have like be fully rounded as a person, but also like keep this level of innocence in order for like the awful things they do or say. Yep. To um, be okay. Yeah. To some degree. For me, when I'm describing that kind of thing to an actor versus when they're not a clown is that you know when you're acting and you're acting angry you're like damn that that person is gonna kill a motherfucker oh yeah. my god that person is pissed rather than if you watch someone like david shiner when he's angry clowning angry mm-hmm. there's a joy there's a fun mm-hmm. to the way he's playing angry and and then that's that's the permission to laugh at his anger do you feel like clowning has to be funny no 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 no, no. clowning i mean clowning is just tr- like ultimate truth that's the way I look at clowning. Ultimate mm-hmm. truth. And I think, you know, some dancers are, are clowning. They don't even realize it, but they're, but, but they're playing their ultimate truth on stage. They're not pretending that they're in, like, a, a dentist office. They're not, you know, right. and, and, you know they're, they're really present in the space with the audience right there in that moment. Mm-hmm. That's what I think clowning is. I feel like clowning can have this different relationship with the piece in itself because the clown has the permission in a way to be in on the joke with the audience yeah or in on the sadness or the uncomfortableness whereas like an actor in a show doesn't because you're supposed to have this fourth wall and you know you're in this world and if you break it then you know that's maybe written into the script but it's not a choice whereas a clown it's always about the relationship with the audience in a, in a way. Yeah. I think so. I think the difference between sympathy and empathy. Yeah. You know, where you're an audience member, you may feel sympathy for that actor who's going through that thing. But if you're feeling some sort of emotional connection with a clown, you're feeling empathy because you're feeling it with them. Mm. Yeah. I have a hard time thinking about a time when, a, when clowning isn't funny. Not funny like, ha, 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 like like laugh out loud but where it's not the moment of like breaking breaking a sad moment or breaking an uncomfortable moment yeah for you know there's uh, there's lots of people who study clowning you know but don't, don't actually put a clowning piece together right so they just use it in their technique but if we're talking about a clown piece yeah if that clown piece is going to be funny or not for me the structure of a clown piece and this comes from Dick Monday teaching, I think, is um, taking a piece of thread and making it really, really tight. So you can start loose, mm-hmm. but then you're making it super, super, super tight until it breaks. Mm-hmm. And in that breaking moment, either you're you're being affected. Mm-hmm. And in that affected moment, it could be a laugh. Right. It could be something else completely. Mm-hmm. But that, for me, is the structure of a clown piece. You're making something super, super tight until break. Yeah. And then we go on to the next moment. Super, super. And sometimes that the tightening of the thread is slower than other times. So, you know, the other thing about you, though, is that you've been trained in dance and also in acting. Well, I'm not a trained dancer. Let's. Sorry, folks. But you don't have no <laughs> dance training. I like to dance. And I think my dancing comes from my martial arts in terms of my grounding and being able to turn and spot and all those yeah. kind of things. But Body awareness. Body awareness. But I've never, I mean, I've taken a dance class maybe three or four times. Oh, count you're misleading. I am not really a dancer. Yeah. Uh, but I love to dance. And <laughs> Did you dance in like, I think every clown show I've seen you in, you have some kind of dance. Because I love it. 
And I think that's where I'm, that's why I love being a clown so much is that I get to live out all those fantasies. <laughs> I get to live out being a dancer, which I've always wanted to be. I get to live out being a rock star. So with my air guitar stuff, like all these things I've always wanted to be, I can be as a clown, you know? So you do Ringling. I do Ringling. You go back to college? I go back to college. I finish his drama. So that's where you study acting. Right. Are you like, love this acting, way cooler than clowning? Are you like, this stuff is way more boring? Like, where are you by the end of that? By the end of that, I, I've built a one-man show that Michael Bongar saw. Mm. My Michael name. Bongar, previously a clown, now circus agent to the New York right. stars of the biz. Right. And he said, let's produce your wingman show at the Grove Street Playhouse. So we did that. And that's where Barry Lubin saw me perform. Which I kind of meant before. People were like, hey, you look like Barry Lubin. Did you know that? I'm like, I don't think so, but okay. And then we <laughs> now saw maybe, maybe not so good yeah. to look like Barry mm. Lubin. Yeah. Anyway, so... <laughs> about that, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so, yeah, so he saw me and he's like, hey, Big Apple Circus is trying to get me to come back as grandma, uh, but I don't want to do the whole tour. Would you be interested in it? Right. And I said, nope. And then he convinced me to do it. And then I did it terrified. And then I had a small little career being grandma's understudy. I've definitely seen you do it at least once or twice doing grandma's understudy. I mean, it's very, you couldn't tell who was who, which Thanks. I think is the... Unless you look at my legs. My legs are much skinnier. That's <laughs> oh, the, really? That's the, that's the... That probably makes you more believable as an old Maybe. old woman. Maybe. I feel like the, the also, whenever I say, oh, our friends are clowns or we have friends who are clowns, people laugh and they're like, that's not really true. Yeah. No, no, it's true. Yeah. And then I started reframing it as oh we have physical comedians yeah. Yeah. who you know serve as clowns and shows yeah it's like why am i redefining it for people because people are uncomfortable with the word clown yeah like as a you know now you're doing big apple where you have what meet and greet yep. every show mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. do you find i mean you guys aren't are you wearing a nose nope we barely wear makeup this year yeah and on, i think that purpose. is uh on purpose yeah on purpose and also an interesting thing that we have to do, right? With this clown. Yeah, there's that, that word clown is so like, like this taboo thing, you know? That's only so old. That's the other thing though, is that like the word clown is, this is the thing, like I think people in America think with circus, like it's always been intense and there've always been clowns and they've always been called clowns. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure clown is a term that's like less than 200 years old and is specific to like that dude, Joseph Grimaldi or whatever his name what was. What was it called before? It. The... You just have like the Harlequin or like yeah. you have just different names for the person in the show who's sort the of like... The jester, I guess. The right? jester. The jester, yeah. The ultimate. The mm -hmm. chorus comedy truth teller yeah. thing. Um, but uh, I think we're still America. I think the world, but America is still stuck in that version of clown, which is why as clowns look less like that we mm -hmm. have been changing what we mm -hmm. call them yeah do you call yourself what do you call yourself a, a clown it depends who i'm talking to yeah you know like if someone that i usually kind of like gauge them like what they're what they <laughs> How do scared are you You know exactly <laughs> and if they if they if they're like i don't you know if they don't really know what a clown is i usually just say i'm an actor, an actor. just an actor uh, <laughs> uh, but if they get it, I say I'm a clown, and you know, it, sometimes they go, oh, "Well, my nephew is having a birthday party," you right? Know, and right. they go, "Like, no, no." Well, like that's that. what they think, right? It's like a birthday clown, yeah, or a yeah. yeah. It's interesting because I tend to call those of you who I feel like elevate the art form physical comedians. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Like yeah. you, Adam Kukler, Spencer, I, I always say a physical comedian. This year on the Big Apple Circus, they call us comic characters. Comic mm-hmm. characters. I don't know if that's yeah. totally... It's just like a name, man. Like for yeah. me, I, I, I still go out and do the same exact thing that I would do right. if I was wearing makeup. Right. You guys keep cocking. I'm going to pee, but we're, this is what we're going away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do it. Okay, I'm going to right back. Keep I want to get fitted for a clown nose. You can get those You can get those online. So now with this new long form, form we're version, not gonna cut this out. we're not going to cut this out. We'll just let Mark pee, and Lindsay and I will we'll talk so there's the break. A, what, what, as you as an audience cannot see is there is a photo, I would say creepy photo, of Mark and Matt Morgan in clown outfits. And Mark looks like he's about two feet tall with whoopee cushions all around him. Yeah, we're sitting right now in Mark's trailer, which is maybe twenty feet from the from the circus tent. Um, he definitely scored big, though. You don't usually get a whole trailer to yourself. No, it's it's like the size of your first apartment in in Harlem. It is the same size. Maybe a little bit nicer. Uh, I mean, it has a built-in fridge and freezer, which is a good, yeah, a good start. and it looks like a dishwasher, which you definitely didn't have. Where's the dishwasher? Oh, or is that the oven? I think that's in the oven. Oh, so Nick's Ixnay on the dishwasher. That's the uh, living on the circus road. But the reason I brought up the whoopee cushions is because he does. Was it last year that they did a whoopee cushion act in Big Apple? Yeah, they broke the whoopee cushion every show. Yeah, yeah, it was with Joel Jeski and um, the other clown, Brent McBeth. Yes. All right, feeling better? <laughs> I feel so much better. I had so much water. That's good, though. Yeah, hydrated. You know? So already had a show this morning. You have yeah. one tonight, right? One seven? T- yeah, t- yeah. So today's a two-day show? Two-day show, 11 and 7. So shows. right now you're doing Big Apple Circus again. Yep. Yep. You did Big, as you were saying, you did Grandma way back when. But yep. now you're back for the all-new commercial version, 2018-19 Big Apple Tour. Yeah. Um, What's the schedule like? Uh, this year they're really loading us in, man. Every Saturday is a three-show day, which back in the day in Big Apple, maybe we had once in a blue moon during the holiday season. Now it's every Saturday. Um, uh, it's typically two to three shows a day. Uh, holiday time, we had 18 shows in one week, which is definitely the most shows I've ever had. How do you do 18 sh- That's six days where you do three shows a day yeah. in a row. Oh, yeah. Well, it overlapped, actually. What happened was... You know, the week is defined by Monday through Sunday, but we ended up doing Monday to Tuesday. I gotcha. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, the infrastructure is very big. You've got to make those ticket sales somehow. Yeah, and, and, and the, they're doing really great business this year, it seems. Yeah, I think it's definitely, from what I can tell, better than last year as far as ticket buyers. I think they said, uh, I might be talking out of turn, I don't know, but I think they said they've made $7 million. Dang, good for them. That's good. I mean, it would make sense, right? If you're here for, you've been here since October, right? Or yeah, September. you'd hope yeah. that. And you're here until the end of this month, January. Yeah. The thing yeah. that also I think is misleading with that number, though, is that you have weekly costs. Right. What is the actual right? Profit? And that also number. the pre-capitalization costs of mm-hmm. building the show, because mm-hmm. it's always numbers are interesting. You know, you can always say whatever, and, mm-hmm. and what the actual truth of that what, is. Right. What like how much is it covering its costs versus losing, and but. It's, but that's where my brain goes as a you yeah. Know, as a, and this is what producer. I think is interesting that we'll see if this part works too. Is that Big Apple is to side you know like uh, Cirque builds a show for millions and millions of dollars and it runs millions for a lot right? right? It runs long so it can make its revenue back right? So Big Apple wouldn't spend as much money as Cirque but they spend a couple million dollars to yeah. make a show. Well they only run for a year 
Right. So how are you ever really going to make a profit from this? Well, now Big Apple is trying to extend their season by now taking the show that's just made as a tent into arenas, arenas. and buildings. Yeah. Well, then, then the new show is going to go into a tent and then... Well, the previous model made sense when it was a not-for-profit. Right. Because it's not so much about recouping your money. Right. You know, but now not, it's like, right. how do you keep it going? Which I think is, it will either really, really work or it won't. Yep. But like anything, you know? Yep. Some stuff you think will really work, it doesn't. Some stuff you're like, that'll never fucking happen. Yeah. Will you yeah. do the arena tour with this show? We'll see. Yeah. TBD. TBD. Um, I mean, you've done the arena tour thing with Ringling. Right. And so, we're jumping all over the place, but one of the things that makes you special is you've done, you're the only clown to have done Ringling, Big Apple, and Cirque du Soleil. Uh, yes. So, you, you just mumble through Cirque du Soleil. Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> no, so I, I just said yes. You know, but it, the, the truth of the matter is I'm the only clown that has worked as a clown for, you know, there's, gotcha. uh, you know, there's Joel Jeske, who was an understudy for uh, Banana Spiel and went on once for right. the understudy. So technically, you know. Uh, and then there's Emily Carragher, who was here on Big Apple as a ring crew and helped the clowns. And so, you know, she wasn't necessarily a clown, but she, you know, so. So, the, so you know, Mark the, is the only person ever. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, dis, disrespect. You know, uh, yes. Uh, Marketing-wise, I'm the only clown who has worked as a clown for all three shows. That's pretty cool. What's been your favorite company to work for? Whoa. They've all offered me different things exactly the right times in my life, you know? Mm -hmm. Ringling was like, I I call it like getting my driver's license. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're a kid, you get your driver's license, and you don't know how to drive. You, 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 someone said you know how to drive. Right. Here's you a driver's license, but you know how to drive. And that's what Ringling was. Okay, you, you're a clown, but you don't really know how to be a clown yet. And the great thing about Ringling was you were doing so many shows over and over and over again that you can really work on your craft. And, you know, I knew there was something else out there for me besides Ringling, but it really just that work ethic of like, you try something that sucks, let's try it this way mm -hmm. and so on. Uh, and then Big Apple came at the right time where, um, uh, I was working at, at Ringling where you have to be so big. So and then big. I started working with Barry, who is like the opposite and being able to command an audience by doing so little. So that helped me learn that craft. And then Cirque is like an awesome gig. It's just mm -hmm. like one of those things you go and they treat you great. The right. check clears every week. And, and yeah, man, my, my bank account is very thankful. Because <laughs> you were doing that, what, last year for a good year probably. We did. You were on Amaluna? I was on Amaluna. Well, yeah, I toured South America. How was that? That was amazing. Was it? First of all, the food and drinks in South America, you just needed to go do that. Were you it's... nervous of Zika? I was not nervous about Zika. What was I, I think nervous if about? I was there, I would have been like, I'm going to get Zika. You know, Repo, the, the one, no, we didn't get worried about that. But the one thing that we got worried about, because they were like, Cirque was like really kind of hammering it over our head, was when you're in Rio, Make sure you have you protect yourself. You're not showing people what like they were like terrified. I'm like, as I'm asking people who've been to Rio before yeah. and like who maybe even live in Rio, and they're like, no, I mean it's like New York. Just don't you know? <laughs> Just don't be throw, an idiot. Yeah, don't throw your cash around. Don't wear right. fancy jewelry and out and you know just. You know, be mindful, you know. So that was like the one thing that I was really like. My, but, I mean, you, it. I doubt you have much fear given the amount of fighting training you have. <laughs> Look, man, you know, I could, I could tell you stories about, about me having to defend myself, but sure. you know, at the end of the day. No, like, let's hear it. That's your one. Oh. Do you have a real story where like you got into a street fight? 
Yeah, you want to hear that? Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. <laughs> uh, I was living in the Bronx at the time. Okay, what right. part of your life is this? This is, I was 26, 27. I was, I had just broken up with a girlfriend who had decided that uh, we needed to live in the Bronx. And uh, oh, no. and then she laughed and I was like, I'm in the Bronx by myself. Which at the time was not a big deal because when we first moved into the Bronx, it was all these kids playing kickball in the street. And this like kind of nice family area, you know, well, those kids kind of grew up and I guess decided that they're going to be gangs. So oh, no. right around this time period, and I didn't know that at the time, right? So at this time period, I was coming back from a Michael Bongar gig. So I had like bags all over me and carrying it, whatever. And I had my flip phone, you know, I just checked the time. It was 930 at and night. I was at night. And uh, and my uh, where I was living was this apartment building where it's kind of like a, a giant courtyard area. And you walk through the courtyard area into a foyer, which was like two glass doors. You had to open one glass door to get into the foyer. Then you plug it. You you stick your key in into the second glass door, and that's what gets you into the building. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm walking through the courtyard, and there's like I don't know twelve. 17 to 21 year old kids like hanging out and uh, one kid goes uh hey what you know what time it is and i just looked at my phone i was like yeah 9 30 and then he goes hey can i use your phone goes, nope and i keep walking and then um i get into the little foyer area and i'm putting the key into the glass door and i just feel something hit me on, on the side of my ear and i and i turn around like cause i thought it was an old lady so a lot of old people <laughs> that, you know just fell over or whatever and it was this kid, one of these kids, and said, oh, give me your phone. And I go, no. And he goes, oh, I hate when adults do this. Oh. And that's, that's when I like saw red. I was like, you hate when adults do this? Like, what? So at that moment, he tries to get my phone, and he's trying to rip it out of my flip phone, guys. Like, I don't know, come <laughs> on. Like, at the end of the day, like, <laughs> you're like you know what I mean? So I'm like, I'm kind of wrestling with him and kind of giving him some extra love and 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 his friends are trying to come into the like little court the little foyer area so i'm kicking the door closed at the same time as kind of messing this poor kid up and um and so i'm kicking the door messing him up a little bit and pushing all the buttons of all the other apartment buildings so they oh. could hear what was going on oh, yeah. that was smart so at some point someone you know started to come out of their apartment and being like, what's going, what's going on? on? And so all these kids bolted and left. And so I called the cops right away. And like the cops showed up like maybe a minute and a half after. Wow. Some in uniform, some undercover. And I'm like, wow, you guys got here fast. And yeah. they go, yeah, well, these, this, those were gang. That was a gang. Oh. <laughs> so about two or three days later, I moved. That's probably yeah. good. I just moved. Like, I didn't want to see those guys again. You know, because I was by myself. What would happen if I was with my mom or my right. sister or something like this? I probably wouldn't be in jail, you know, like. So right. anyway, yeah, there's So you there's... moved to the Bronx because of a girl. Yeah, the and dumb. And she broke up with you. She yeah, dumped you. Yeah, don't move. Are you sure she wasn't because... part of this game? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to get him there. <laughs> I want that flip phone. Yeah. <laughs> How did you meet your wife? Oh, wow. So I met my wife. The funny story is, is that uh, she was dating my best friend, Matt Morgan. Oh. That's she the funny was story. dating a fellow clown, fellow troop member, Matt Morgan. Who's in the creepy photo that I was just talking about? <laughs> so uh, uh, it's not totally true. So when I was so Matt, uh, this time period of my life, I was in Big Apple Circus, and he would bring his dates to the Big Apple Circus, like to like kind of be like, "Hey, look at me, aren't I fancy?" You know. So he brought my wife uh, to one of those shows, and then they kind of just broke up, and nothing really happened. They went on a couple dates, you know. Uh, 
And then me and Matt were doing a play at the American Globe Theater, and she was in the play. And um, what play were you doing? It was called The Rover. The Rover. Who wrote it? Uh, the classical. Some I don't know. It's like a, okay. I'll yeah, Google the Rover. The Rover. Yeah. The, the Rover. It. Yeah. Classical piece of something. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah, so there was some interest there. And then I said to Matt, hey, do you mind if I date this girl? Is that cool? And he was like, yeah, go ahead. And then and then we got married. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, many years later. Yeah, yeah. Um, Afro Ben? I don't know. That's a, I guess it's a classic play from 1664. Yeah. Well, wow, learn something new every day. So have you done a lot of work as an actor now that I'm skeptical about your dance career? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I do plays and I do commercials and TV and film, all that stuff that comes up. I'd like to say that I'm like a physical actor, so I wouldn't necessarily be the guy that would uh, do heavy dialogue, you know, stuff. Um I'm so articulate. And uh yeah, so like, you know, I'm the physical guy. I'm the little physical guy that 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 people would hire to throw around. Throw around, but uh, you know, the guy next door, the silly nerdy, you know, weird kid. What was your it's first funny, sorry, how you you play, you play nerds very often, but you're pretty jacked for uh a nerd. That's true. Yeah, it's out of necessity, you know, like <laughs> we were trying to organize this hang and we we're like, "Well, I need to go to the gym." I feel like like a body emotion stays in motion and a body not. So mm. when I have days off and I don't like make my body do something, like it just shuts down. It goes, oh, cool. You're 42 years old. Let's shut down. Yeah, we're yeah. done. We're done. Do you do anything for your diet specifically now that you're older to keep your body in check? No. I mean, when I'm doing a show, I just eat everything I possibly can. You know, I just need But the great, the what I did learn when I was on Cirque, there's another feather to the Cirque's cat, is that... Um, they had all these like wonderful chefs for us. Mm -hmm. So they've really taught me some, you know, well, you need this kind of food at this time of day. You need this kind of food at that type of day. You know? So in order to keep your energy up and in order to keep your body from not falling apart, this sort of thing. So that was super helpful. But I don't, I do, I'm not militant about it like some people are. Like, I need my diet to be right. there. I just don't feel like I have time for that, you know? Right. Well, we are at um, our show, Beyond Babel. They, you know, the show is two hours long. It's basically like a 45-minute soccer match with a halftime. What do they call it in soccer? Yeah, halftime. Halftime. Mm -hmm. And then another half. And it's like everyone's We compare it to soccer because the dancers are basically running for the 45 minutes. The whole show. And it's the first show where it's not been like, okay, I do my five-minute act. And then I can like cool down a little bit mm -hmm. till my next one, but mm -hmm. keep warm. This is like you have to sustain... Mm -hmm two hours really mm -hmm. of constant movement and dancing and running. And, and that was like a big part of our talking with CUNY Murray about like, what do they eat? What's the pre and post show necessity recovery, recovery mm -hmm. things like, do you guys yeah, I can see the you've guns? got a foam roller. The foam yeah, roller. Yeah, a foam roller and a, and a ball. And you can't see underneath those glass, those bad um, jackets. I have something called the Ferragun. Oh yeah. We yeah. Use that too. That, that they do that every show, and they also do these compression boots. Mm -hmm. So they sit and do the compression mm -hmm. for their legs. Mm -hmm. And I saw you guys using you and Adam Cookler using those. Oh man, we need those things. Uh, yeah, the the one thing that I learned when I was working with the dance company is the cool down. 
The cool down. The warm up is important, but the cool down is just as important. Yeah. Yeah, man, those guys. Dancers are no joke. When you're doing those, that, that kind of physicality, oh, yeah. it's just as, 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 it's a marathon. Mm-hmm. It's not a sprint. No. You know? Where I think, especially in a form of a show like Big Apple, where you're really, not you and Kukler who are kind of in the show the whole time, but, you know, like the Flying Trapeze Act, they're in, they know exactly when they're in the show they are, they do their act, and they're done. Yep. You know, they come back out for bows. Yep. And you just got to prepare yourself for those five minutes and you're done. Yep. Versus like you and Kukler and these dancers that are really in the show. Yep. Always. And it's about keeping your body warm, I guess, right? Yep. Yep. What do you do when you guys are off stage? Yeah, we have a a little backstage area called Clown Alley and mostly on our cell phones, (laughs) tweeting or whatever. But uh, um, no, yeah, we're keeping warm. We have the the Theraguns back there to keep our muscles activated. And Have you ever had like a serious injury? Uh, yeah, when I was doing martial arts stuff, I landed on my back doing a little demo and and threw my Kicking back out. Or... No, well, it was a version of a 108. You guys know what a 108 is? Uh, when a clown does like a front, oh, yeah. a front flip but lands on oh, your back. Yeah. So when I did that, I was um, I had a staff in my hand, like a like a bow staff, whatever. And I, so I did this 108 looking thing. And I landed on my back and the staff at the same time. So yeah, it really really screwed me up. I was only seventeen or eighteen at the time, you know. So, so yeah, that took me a while. And then my, I'm not as flexible as I used to be, you know. That from one little injury, you know, mm. when you're seventeen, eighteen. But that was my my only main. I've never missed a show. Wow, that's I've good. Never a show. Is that because you're a badass? You're impervious to sickness, or what was? No, that man, I've been sick. Actually, I'm I'm sick right now. I've been sick for three and a half. I months. heard you starting. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's this year, man. Like, uh, there's no time to rest. No. no, I think the flu shot this year was, I don't know if you got it, but I, I think they just it. missed it. Yeah. The strain. Because they always, they guess, you yeah. know, the scientists for if, what flu they think is going to happen this mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. And both of us got seriously sick, like mm-hmm. December, January. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just went to the emergency room. <laughs> you just recently? Like four days ago. Oh my God. I thought I. Well, I couldn't stop coughing. Yeah. And I was lying down. I was like, and then of course I have anxiety. So then you know it spirals to like mm-hmm. I I'm dying. can't. I'm dying. <laughs> and then you you, know, you I did the worst thing you could possibly do is Google uh, what is what do I do if my lungs like yeah. are co- are congested? I was like go to the hospital. And I was like oh, I don't think I need to go to the hospital. But you know I can't breathe. I should just like go. It was like at two in the morning. I was talking to my best friend who was in Asia, so she was awake. Mm-hmm. I was like, "What do you think I should do?" She was like, "You're not gonna be able to sleep. Just go." So I went. I was like, "You're so creepy," because it was like at two in the morning in the like this ER kind of emergency room thing, and they're like, "Okay, you might have pneumonia." I was like, "Oh, if I have pneumonia, I was right to come." Yeah, yeah. But then they took exercises. Like, you just have extreme inflammation of your mm-hmm. lungs, so here's some like steroids. Mm-hmm. But I did feel better, but I had to get started because it was, like, so bad I couldn't breathe. Yeah, I guess when you're coughing so much that it gets so inflamed exactly, that, it, then it just, that it never heals. Exactly. And yeah. cigarette smoke is a cause of it. And we were in Switzerland where you can still smoke inside. Uh, it's one of the few countries of where you can smoke in bars yeah, still. Yeah, son of a bitch. That's horrible. <laughs> right, but for a country that's so yeah. much about, like, health mm-hmm. and skincare. Mm-hmm. But my theory is... Maybe they're so worried about skincare because you can smoke and everyone smokes. Yeah, maybe. That could be it. Have you ever done any circus shows in Switzerland? Any of that kind of clowning no, scene? That no. seems like a big uh, world you have yet to yeah. explore. You're really a, an American circus clown. Yeah, I mean, my the work that I've 
done the people that have hired me but i feel like my the work actually like leans more to the european style do you do okay i would argue I that i would I, argue no really i would argue you have a very what i would categorize as a, an american cool style of clowning and that it's really bad <laughs> <laughs> no but i think especially seeing you in big apple this year mm. i think like what from what i've seen in europe and even in australia mm. and yeah, I guess Europe is like a more caricature mm-hmm. of a person with uh-huh. like more makeup and, or not makeup, but just like a little bit weirder, less like human, human. Mm-hmm. And you and Adam this year in Big Apple feel very, I mean, you're part of your shtick in Big Apple this year is you are mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just a normal person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think that even when we, we were working on this show that Spencer and Josh kind of came up with, which mm-hmm. we'll see the light of day one day. Cause it's so. funny. It's so funny. But just watching you, you have a very relatable quality that I feel like is also in Wingman. Like, yeah. And in yeah. Wingman and in, in reading, your reading is very American. Cool. Yep, which yeah. I think is cool. And it sets you apart. Like Spencer's clowning, I think is a little bit more, I don't know, not... I don't know, it's also hard to say, like, to describe clowning by nationality, right. as there's just so many Yeah, but Mark, your whole up- upbringing and, and education and work has mainly be, been in the U.S. for U.S. audiences, you know, which is something that is not, like, to be dismissed. Sure. Have you done stuff that's, like, rated R? Because I feel like most of the work I've seen you do <laughs> is PG to PG-13. Yeah, I think Happy Hour, when we did the Happy Hour stuff, the trio would fall into that category closer to rated r yeah ambrose is ambrose, more frequently yeah he's like kind of more of the burlesque scene a yeah. little bit matt is is really the freak of the trio really? oh yeah he would he would one one thing that we would do is uh the beginning of every happy hour show and adam and and, and matt was like oh, we're gonna do this joke and i'm like as long as i'm not the last person and i'll tell you what it is so the we would start our our day so this particular will you, will show you set up happy hour yes. just tell people okay. what happy hour is so happy hour was a comedy trio that me matt morgan and ambrose martos made uh matt morgan and i were living in washington heights at the time and we were just like making stuff and living the dream in our 20s and we run into ambrose on the street New York, because that's what you do in New York, and it was like, like, hey, let's do, let's make a trio, and we're like, (laughs) great, so Ambrose knew somebody at Gotham City Improv, got, yeah, Gotham, and was like, hey, every Saturday, you guys want a space, we're like, yeah, cool, (laughs) so we, every Saturday for an entire summer, we made a brand new show, the only rule was we couldn't repeat something, Wow. which was great, a lot of it sucked. But a lot of it was like, oh, that we'll remember that thing and save that for the, you know. So, so we built a show, and and a lot of it was, you know, based from our clown college traditions. But we wanted to be a little more punk rock. We wanted to be a little more New York. And so eventually, we wrote a show called It Takes Three, which was um, uh, a show about three best friends want to become the next boy band sensation. So we went on a, a, a road trip across country to become the next boy band sensation. And um, so the, the so now setting up like the rated R, it's not really rated R, it's just disgusting. Matt comes up with this idea like, uh, we'll brush our teeth. You know, we're waking up and we're, we're going to go on the road trip, whatever. So we'll do our whole morning ritual. So um, Mark starts and brushes his teeth. Takes a glass of water, 
and spits the water into the cup. Gives Ambrose the same toothbrush and the same glass of water. Ambrose brushes his teeth, takes that same water, oh, spits it back into the cup, and gives it to Matt. Matt re repeats the thing, but instead of spitting it back into the cup, he drinks the water that was... Mm. Voila. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, yeah, you should he... see the look Classic on these guys' faces. Classic clown. Yeah, it's pretty much. But that's the kind of stuff, like, we were trying to do. We wanted yeah. to, like, take these other traditions, which we were doing, you know, stuff with whoopee cushions and everything yep. else, but also infuse just kind of, you know, freaky stuff, you know? See, to Josh, freaky that would stuff. still be rated G. That would still be rated G. I don't. Yeah, I guess probably. Crushing it's, your it's, teeth. It's got gross. It's got the gross factor. It does. I do. Have a I do love shot, something with you know. the gross factor. <laughs> I mean, I think my favorite gross factor bit is Jonathan and Ann oh. um, Goldman. Is Jonathan's last name? I don't know if that's Ann's last name. Um, Taylor. Is. Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor, Taylor. and Goldman. Mm -hmm. That's it. Thank you. We always say, uh, what do we? Jonathan. Jonathan. But they do a banana spitting act that ends with him basically putting a whole or her putting a whole banana in her mouth, chewing it, and yeah. then like spitting it. Not even spitting it, just like opening her mouth and dropping it into Letting, his mouth, yes. which is just Didn't they do that foul. on the gong show? They did do it on the gong show. Yeah. They won. They won the gong they show. They won the gong show. Yeah. yeah, I think that the only the one other one that we would be close to is the robes thing that you alluded yeah. to before. That I'm not sure, you know, without with the world is different now with What was me. the robe thing? So basically we would be in in bathrobes. Okay. And we would um, show the audience. We'd open our bathrobes and show that we're just wearing underwear. And then we'd turn our back to the audience and we would take our underwear off and throw the underwear in the audience. And to a synchronized motion, we would open our robes. But by the way, we're opening our robes synchronized that we'd be covering Comedy our Voila. Voilà. And uh, at one point of the show, we would pull some a, a woman out. Well, not always a woman, but we'd pull someone out from the audience and put them on stage, and we would stand in a circle around them, <laughs> and we put a blindfold on their on their on their eyes, and we would expose ourselves in a synchronized way that that if they wanted to, they could take the blindfold off and see the 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 the, the you know the glory. And um, <laughs> and one time, Ambrose forgot to put the blindfold in his oh. pocket, so then we decided that we're just going to cover their eye. They we would take their hands. And cover their eyes with their hands, and which we need even more dangerous, where they could, Go, right. yeah, open open their hands and see us. And you know, sometimes there'd be a um, a bachelorette party so oh. at the show, so they would be a little more. So we would be concerned that they would actually right, try to try to grab you as we're doing the thing, and you can't stop them from grabbing you because that would right. expose you to everybody. Else. So you know, now with like the Me Too movement and everything else like this, like. I don't think we could potentially pull someone out from the audience and this do that. That's definitely something I want to talk about. Do you feel like the heightened sensitivity in America, in particular, to humor, period, is noticeable as yeah. somebody who works in it? Yeah, I'm a lot more sensitive to it. I I hope that you know the 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 arc will change. Yeah. You know that that people will be less sensitive to it. I have become hypersensitive to it because all my material is about relationships. Yeah. And, and especially if you pull an audience member. Yeah. It's to it's, me that 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 should still work today. But I get why people would be reluctant to put it in because well, Yeah. Everyone There's is we, you can use one 
classic clown bit that everybody has done and now maybe it has to be reconsidered where uh, the classic clown bit where the clown goes to the audience member that's on stage hey just kiss oh, me yeah. on the cheek yes and as soon as they kiss you on the cheek you turn your head and they kiss you on the lips I don't think that's cool anymore. No. Like, you don't think that's cool anymore as in like you're not cool with it or you don't think it's cool with audiences anymore? I don't think I'm cool with it anymore because the audience isn't cool with it anymore. I'm in service to the audience. Sure. But I guess I mean like aside from would you perform it, does it offend you the way in which you're concerned about it offending the audience? It doesn't offend me. Right. But because I understand what the climate is and I don't I, I want people to feel happy. I want people to feel relaxed. I want, you know, when I'm pulling someone up on stage, I'm making sure that that person's comfortable at every single moment. Mm -hmm. There's a never, I'm always going to be the butt of the joke. Right. See, it's so funny because so we were just in Paris and we saw Lori Hagan mm -hmm. do the, she was the host of the Crazy Horse and Crazy Horse is a burlesque. Mm -hmm show that's like 50 years old over 50 years old in paris mm -hmm. everything is topless so there's a lot of nudity but the actual content of the show other than the fact that people are topless is pretty tame mm -hmm. yes and Lori does her usual audience participation bit where she pulls a guy from the audience and has him on all fours so she can sit on him mm -hmm. while she sings while she sings mm -hmm. and there was not one moment when i was watching it in paris where i was like this is inappropriate. But I feel like if I was watching it in America, I'd be like, I bet you some people have a problem with this. Well, it's probably just a great place for the right clown, maybe it's Mark, maybe somebody else, to mine that, to make the joke be that line, you know? Like, ride the line like, of... Fight, like, the, yeah, make the joke of these, mm. like, scenes being yeah. like, am I... Is this is this a little too edgy or Well, or and not? In, in Australia, when we were there, Briefs, which is a all-men burlesque crew who does yeah, a just show at NYU like last week they did a they did a bit where they pulled a girl on stage and had her lie down on a bench while mm. they danced mm. over her mm. and, and maybe just underwear and just underwear yeah and again like I never once was like this is inappropriate mm -hmm. but I think if I had been watching it in America I would be like oh my god someone this is there something was wrong with this yeah. and it's uh it's interesting to see like what is Going on around the world. Interesting to know that your taste is your Different, personal right, taste and is where I'm watching yeah. it. Yeah, right. you think that your taste would be the same, the same. no matter no matter where you watch it. Right, and I, but I don't know if I I still like all those bits, sure. you know. Sure. But I think I would be more nervous watching it because I'd be like, what if everyone around me doesn't like this bit, yeah, and I, I'm like, this is awesome. You know, I think a, a, our job as artists is to push the boundaries. You know, like. And and talk and expose what's happening in in real life, but um, I just feel like right now comedy in particular is really difficult. <laughs> yes, everyone's, everyone's got, so serious. Everyone's so serious, and everybody's got like a like a like a megaphone, right? Like you, they can put something on Twitter, they can put something on Instagram, they go right away saying this person did this thing, isn't that horrible? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've learned this term recently listening to Jonathan Haidt, who wrote a book that's quite popular right now called The Coddling of the American Mind, where he calls it call-out culture. Mm -hmm. So it's mm -hmm. the idea that the culture is like, you can individually score points by calling out someone's mm -hmm. bad behavior. So you are incentivized, whether it's rational or not, right. to signal oh, Mark made an inappropriate joke. Right. I'm going to call him out because you basically have no no barrier other than your thumbs mm. to doing it. Mm. 
and you can score brownie points on the internet and make yourself feel better without any meaningful repercussion to you and how it's sort of contagious. Wasn't there a clown that did that bit, the kissing bit, in... Literally every clown did that. No, but and then someone like the audience member was like, "I got sexually." Oh yeah, Zinzani. Advanced. Yes. It was Zinzani. But I don't know if it was the kiss or just general the way he like handled her. Mm. Well, that's what I'm wondering. You know, it's like, you know, in Vegas, there's the absence show, and what what Gazillionaire is able to do. Right. And I'm sure he's not able to do that all over the world. So it did it's not like... work in Australia, apparently. I no, spoke that... to Ross yeah. about it, and they did an, an absinthe tour of Australia, and the humor did not land the way it landed. What's funny in is Vegas. the humor in Australia was too aggressive, but the male dominance over women, or like the male sexuality on women, is okay. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like the comedy yeah. is like is held to such a high standard. While you're watching another aerialist or, or acrobat do something just as risque, but right. no one, but no one cares. No one cares. No, they don't care. But you know, no, what but I mean? they don't it's, think about it the same way. Yeah, it is hard. Everybody thinks they know how to be funny. That's the thing. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And everybody think, they don't realize that there's technique and study and everything else. You know, I think at some point Steve Martin got like hit on Twitter. Or something he said something, and then like he's like, "I'm leaving Twitter." Have yeah. you followed the Kevin Hart thing? I have a little bit, yeah, yeah. How do you feel about it? I mean, like, I feel like, what's a guy got to do to like get forgiveness? Yeah, yeah. I feel like he's sincere. Yeah. Also, I think it's so crazy. Like, everyone's doing this ten-year challenge on Instagram. Oh yeah. Hashtag ten-year challenge, and it's what like is that? basically posting a photo of yourself from oh, ten years ago and like two thousand eight to eighteen. Right. And. So much changes in your life in 10 years. Your views, how you look, how you dress, what you think, where you you are, where you live, what your experience is. And everyone says it on their Instagram posts. But then to hold someone accountable for a joke they made 10 years ago, and it's a joke. Right. Whether it's in good taste or not, it's a joke. Right. But to hold someone accountable for a thought that they had 10 years ago till now is insane. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I've done the kiss on the cheek thing. Right. Ten years ago, is someone gonna see that video and go, "Mark abuses women on right? stage"? Like, no, well, that's a joke I did ten years ago. That was okay for the. Now I'm not necessarily will right, be that more kind sensitive of, to you it. Know, exactly. Right. It's funny. It makes me. I'm not a clown. Thank God, otherwise I'd be in hot water. <laughs> it sounds like you can't do that. I'm like, it just makes me want to do a whole bit about where Things you can you accidentally do. get somebody to kiss you or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, just going mm-hmm. as far in the direction of taboo right. as possible. Obviously, yeah. not appropriate for a very family-friendly show like the one you're on right now. But I think there's also a difference between making those, riding the line of a joke as a a person who's, it's their show, and those people have bought a ticket to see that show, versus like a Big Apple where people are not buying a ticket to see Mark Gindick's comedy take on kissing an audience member. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's a, like, Louis C.K. to me is an example. Like, he makes very riding the line jokes, but I think people are buying a ticket to see him ride the line. Ride, ride the line, right, 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 right. You know, and then when you get mad that he's riding the line, like why are you mad that he's riding the line? You know, the, yeah, and and people are just really sensitive in general. I, I remember my first, I got, I got hate mail once for you doing did? a bit with Joel <laughs> Jeske, who is also one of the squeaky guys out there right now, and uh, we we did a bit where I would jump into his arms and he would 
play me like bag like a bagpipe, <laughs> and it's very funny, you know. And but some I got an email from I, I don't know what I don't remember exactly what the email was, but in the email was Scotman or something like this, like like. He was a Scottish guy, so he oh, took offense <laughs> that I was making fun of his Are you heritage. Kidding? Oh my god! And it's like, I mean, it's just funny. Like, yeah, wow. it's there's not. I'm not. I I I've been to Scotland. I like. It. Yeah, and presumably the butt <laughs> of the joke is not Scottish people. It's no. you looking like an idiot. Like an idiot. Right. Yeah. yeah. How many years ago was this? Oh, man, it must have been seven or eight years ago now. Yeah, we yeah. did that bit a long time. I feel like ago. that's one of the things that people don't understand as you're going back to like. Stru- comedy structure like the difference between a subject and a target yeah. in a joke mm-hmm. um, and the subject of a joke can be one thing but the target is a whole other thing so like if you're making a joke about yourself or about a person or a category of people you can it, the subject can be the same but the target of the joke is what is ultimately uh, important or ultimately hurtful that's right um, but so you've done a lot of teaching you yeah. know what do you feel like you know, is something that can be taught and not taught as far as like comedy or dance or performance, any of these things. Yeah. I think you can teach body awareness to a degree. Um, I think you can teach the math of a joke. Um, I don't think you can teach someone to be funny. <laughs> I think either you're funny or not funny. When, you, when you're, when you say people are either funny or not, like to me, I always feel like it's the timing. Like people either feel the timing of a joke or is it more than just that? I think it's the uh, the ability and wanting of the ultimate truth. Like, yeah. you have to be willing to let people laugh at you. Right. And look like a moron. That's the first thing that I say in my class. Look, if you don't feel like a moron, you're probably not doing it right. <laughs> right? Uh, but, okay, so we use this for an example, right? Jerry Seinfeld writes a brilliant joke. He says a, writes a joke, he says it, it's hilarious, everybody thinks it's funny. Then... You go to your the dinner table, be like, "Hey, Jerry Seinfeld tells this joke," and everybody's like, and he tells the joke, and everybody's like, "Ah, it's an okay joke," but it it loses the funny because it's not Jerry Seinfeld telling the joke; it's his ultimate truth, right? right? That's why it's super funny coming out of his mouth. So, if you are willing to expose your ultimate truth, you'll be funny. Not everybody wants to do that. No. You know, when you I, see people in class that are just like you're like you're just not funny. Like you're never going to be funny. You know, uh, it depends what kind of class it is, right? So if I'm teaching like a dance a bunch of dancers or a bunch of improvisers or actors, I I customize the the class to what I think, you know, if it's just like a master class of 3 hours, we I can't teach you, you know, <laughs> Much, uh, right? how to be in Cirque du Soleil, you know, <laughs> right, it's just right. not going to happen, right? Uh, but what I but you can expose them to something, you know, and and sometimes that thing is just being present, you know, mm. just allow people to see you, right? Yeah. I've worked with a partner before who, who uh, well, I won't say this person's name, but I would say they're either sucking or blowing, never breathing. <laughs> so they're on stage and they're going, and they're just yeah. ex- like throwing all this stuff at me. Or they're on stage and they're just sucking all the energy. They're never like present with right. the audience. So you never feel comfortable. Right. And sometimes that's all. You know, all that's, that, that's all it takes. I did a lot of improv in college because of my my acting mm-hmm. career. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of it was improv. And I don't think I was, like, particularly, like, amazing at it. But I definitely wasn't bad at it. But I do remember this one class where this girl who was 
a serious actor. Mm. We were doing an improv. And, you know, the, the, like, first thing you ever learn in any improv is, like, you just don't say no. Mm-hmm. It's like, or you'll kill it. You mm-hmm. know, you just have to go along with it. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't saying no, but she wasn't saying yes. Mm-hmm. And I just remember being like, wow, this is, like, the most uncomfortable I've ever felt in my entire life. And I want to run off the stage and never do this again. And it wasn't because of me, but it was because of, like, well, it was me, obviously, but it was, like, my partner. And when I see, like, clown partners... Mm-hmm. I'm like, that is such an important mm-hmm. relationship and, like, mm-hmm. the whole, uh, you know, like, vibe you have with each other. Mm-hmm. Because So have you ever had, a, was it like, a partner in a show where you're just like, this is, like, going so terribly? Yep. I guess another way to frame that is you've had a lot of partners. What makes a good <laughs> or, 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 what makes for a good or a bad one? Yeah, I know. Uh, uh, that's a great, that, that's... So you can take the best. This is why we're married because, like, you know, he yeah, he, he my gets you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get her. That's my partner. <laughs> we have good chemistry. Uh, you can take the best two clowns in the world yeah. and put them in the same show, and it just not work. It's it's for me. It's just about chemistry. Sometimes it's about technique, and um, and if they're if they're good listeners, if there's yes people, and that's the truth. But really, really comes down to is chemistry. When 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 uh, Adam and I got Adam Cooper and I got paired up to be here, we were really concerned. We'd never worked together before, and we have similar energies, right? Yeah, you do. And so one of the things that the director and producers said to us when we first started like coming up with ideas, they're like, "Well, who's who's going to be the number one?" And we're like, "Neither of us." You know, yeah. it's usually their status, right? Like there's right. One, there's the number one and number two clown, and sometimes right. a trio. There's a trio, a third clown, and usually it's about status. One's the most smart, and there's the less smart, and yeah. the super dumb. Uh, my theory about that is where all clowns are dumb. It's just who's the dumbest, you yeah. know. Anyway, that's another thing. But but in terms of like to, to partner, uh, you know, a pair. Um, uh, Adam and I, we didn't. None, neither of us wanted to be the number one. We wanted to be able just to be buddies, and in a certain moment, one may, because of structure and mm-hmm. uh, that you need in a gag, uh, one might be the number one. But but we're never gonna let that dictate all of our material mm-hmm. and how we're gonna be in the show together. And thank goodness, because just chemistry wise, I'm it's I've I'm having we're having such a blast together. Um, and, I, and it's just because of chemistry. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think makes the bad the bad chemistry? Ego, yeah, I think is the main thing. Clowns... Ego is such a like a horrendous thing to deal with, isn't mm. it? And I have to check my own a lot, but it is. It can really be like a poison in a project. And mm. I, I've now seen it happen a few times to us, and I'm like, wow, ego is a really good thing because it makes people driven, driven. Mm. But ego, if you can't check it, is also just like a destroyer yeah. of anything creative and collaborative. Yeah. I mean, that, that's uh, being collaborative is everything. That's the word, right? Like yeah. when you're making something, you can't just do it by yourself. No. So everybody has something to offer. So it's like as soon as you figure out what people can offer and you let that happen organically, like then I think it's gold, you know? Uh, I, I, yeah ego I've, I've seen many clowns and many artists just like fall apart because of ego of ego yeah yeah it's also not something that you can really get um uh serious feedback on as far as like external gratification for ego in circus like maybe you can if you've won some award and that might last 
couple of years where that's important. But it's not like anyone's a famous actor or on Instagram with, you know, two, three million subscribers. It's a bunch of people who don't actually have a probably a very big individual following. Mm-hmm you know, shit-talking one another, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What, um, in the clowning circle you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, it's really anywhere in circus. And dance, mm-hmm. for that matter. I mean, the, granted, there are some dancers who have broken out of that, like, mold. But The thing with dancers is, aside from a few, obviously, who you'll find a few bad eggs in any genre of life, but I, the the dance community is different because it's all about the group. Right, like you are focused on the group. You don't want to be the one that stands out mm-hmm. because if you're the one who stands out in a group, you've you've messed up, mm-hmm. and like the reason you've lost a competition or whatever is because of you. So you don't want to be the one who stands out. It's all about the group mentality mm-hmm. versus circus. Circus, where it's a lot about the individual, and it's not so collab. Like I mean, there are shows where it's like the group has created this show and it's collaborative and like we're in all these scenes and we're helping rig stuff typical seven finger show yeah Mm -hmm. but like a show like big apple where it's very much like individual and you and adam are the only real collaborative voice and maybe stephanie Mm -hmm. um how do you say your last name monsu monsu um who's you know the first female ringleader in ringmaster yeah well she's not the first female in, big, in big apple, apple though no, right not in big apple no oh no. really that marketing is that, a liar too yeah yeah who was the first there's this woman named vanessa i can't remember her last right now but she was an african-american woman so she ticks two boxes yeah and then there was <laughs> was she gay no maybe oh, she... i don't know really oh because then she could take another <laughs> <laughs> then there was carrie harvey I oh so there's like been a few female oh. and then jenna robbins there's been a few yeah well, you can keep every time you get a new one. You can just say it's the first. Yeah. <laughs> but first I would thing. say that like you also have a hard. It's harder in circus to have a collaborative mindset when it is so singular, because you're doing your act and then not. Yeah, I feel like Big Apple in particular is you know the structure of the shows are you're getting the best acts from all over the world and they're gonna go in and do their act. Maybe they're in the opening. Maybe they're in the finale. But. They're there to do their act. Yeah. Rather than you're going with a seven finger show where you're just getting a, a talent. Yep. And you're spending all this time, months sometimes, yep. collaborating and building something together. They're not being, they're being hired because they're one of the best artists in the world, but they're not being hired for their particular act. And they're more often generalists. Right. In, in their skill. But do you but. find more like fulfillment in creating and collaborating on a show? that you've maybe written or you're working on with like Matt and Ambrose versus Big Apple where it's very like structured and like you fit into the structure or is that kind of freeing in a way because you don't have to think of the whole structure. That's exactly right. There's different gratifications, right? So when I do a Big Apple Circus show or Cirque du Soleil show, one of these kinds of shows, I am in service to that show, right? I'll have ideas and, 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 and offerings of how to make the acts and, and my contributions better but at the end of the day they're making the choices they're making the decisions and i love that because like you just said you know it's on them you know i'll make choice i'll I'll offer stuff but at the end of the day yeah but when you're building your own show with your buddies or yourself or you know your solo shows there's so much weight and importance and you need to get it right you're the one that like that has it all on the line um 
which is uh, gratifying in a different way where it's like when you do nail it out of the park, it's you've nailed it out of the park. <laughs> right. It's not Cirque du Soleil. It's not Key Liberté. You know, it's you. you know? We're talking. I was talking about this idea of like working within the institution versus not mm. with playwrights mm. at this playwriting summit at New Dramatists, mm. which is a nonprofit organization in New York that's been around for years. It started by Arthur Miller and it's basically like to support a playwright for seven year residencies and they don't have to do anything except write. Awesome. It's an amazing organization that I'm lucky enough to be on the board of. And they had a summit on this past Friday about playwrights and working in an institution within the institution versus not. And that was like a lot of people's opinion was like, if I get my piece done at a non-for-profit theater or an existing place like a big apple i don't have to worry because i'm just like they're supporting me usually financially and i'm creating within the bounds of them but on the other part of it the creative authority you have when you're working with outside of institution is like you know immensely more scary and gratifying when it works and when it doesn't it's like soul crushing Mm -hmm. But because of that, like, as an artist, I think everyone wants to have the, like, the creative freedom to, to, to fail, yep. you know? Yep. But it's, but in the institution is nice because it's, you're like, I know exactly what I'm doing. I know exactly what I'm getting and what I need to create. Yep. And it might still fail, but it's not so much on you. Yeah. I, sometimes I compare gigs in three ways. There's the gig that you do for money, right? Like... I'm, like Cirque du Soleil. Like Cirque du Soleil. You're doing, <laughs> you know, it's great. You get to work with some of the best artists in the world. But at the end of the day, it, it's you're part of a machine, yes. right? You're, it's not you. It's machine. So you're doing it for money. Then there's the kind of gig that you're doing like for artistic gratification. That you're not necessarily making money. In fact, you're probably losing money. Uh, but it makes you feel so great because you're building an art, an art, something your your voice. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the elusive gig that you have both sides of the coin where it's like you have all this artistic input and you're making money at it at the same time yeah like those are rare i haven't had one yet i you know i've been close here at big apple where they've given me some ability to mm-hmm. be creative but it's but it's still big apples you right know? it's big apples mm-hmm. vibe mm-hmm. yeah that's the elusive it's it's there i know it's so you know it's it's hard because when you do your own thing you get so much more criticism than when you're a part of a big thing. You're like, oh, well, the criticism doesn't really matter because it's the criticism on Big Apple. Right. It's not me. Right. You know, maybe they say one thing about my character, but like, I didn't, right. I didn't but, choose it. You know, it's funny. It's like we can say that, but I feel like sometimes the public has a t- trouble like determining that. Where it's like, you know, you watch like a like a Hollywood movie, right? Yeah. And you you, you, uh, you use someone big like a like or um. Robert De Niro, you yeah. know, like, okay, Robert De Niro is a great actor. Let's just say he's a, <laughs> he's one of the best actors ever. But then you watch one of these movies and that's not a very good movie. And you go, well, he sucks. Yeah. True. You're like, wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't suck. A lot of people went into building this, this movie. They spent a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of creative. They didn't, it wasn't the best movie in the world, but you, you, we but just, people act- just write it off. But don't you it think sucked. as an actor, like if it was Robert De Niro, I could be like, well... I wasn't, I didn't choose, like, this movie was shit, and I just was acting in it. Yeah. Versus, like, if he wrote the movie and produced it and was in it, and then it got all that bad, bad talk, it's like, oh, I, well, that really hits me. 
differently. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, maybe. I don't. I don't. I don't I'm, know. We should talk to Robert De Niro. Well, I mean, but, but there's so. Hey, like, <laughs> someone get Bob on the phone. I, I feel like you know, someone's gonna get a, an Oscar for best actor. Yeah. Right. But then. You know, they got the uh, actor, they got the Oscar, but there were so many other people building this thing. Right. They were part of this machine. It wasn't, yeah, he did a brilliant performance, but okay, so let's, it's just so subjective and so weird that I that I feel like people just generalize. Yes. That person now, that person's lost it. They suck now. (laughs) That's true. What are you talking about? That was just not a, you just didn't like that movie. That's okay. Yeah, right. So I feel like it could be the same thing with the circus stuff where it's like, so, you know, I'm sure there's people that have seen this show and they're like, yeah, it's not a very good show. Mark, Mark's probably lost it. He's not doing it, you know, not very good anymore. But, you know, they don't, they don't realize that I am serving the... They don't know mich- me. They don't know me. <laughs> Come and get me, motherfucker. Um, yeah, they, then I'm Mark serving the Mark knows Taekwondo. Let's arm wrestle. Um, and Mark is jacked. Um, yeah, it's a really funny... Funny thing. I mean, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about and see if you've noticed is the difference between these various cultures of the circus culture, the acting culture, and the dance culture, and the pros and cons of it. And a few, I'll start with pros and cons I've noticed and see if you notice the same things or different things. Cool. Is that um, circus performers in particular are all like mini entrepreneurs, basically. Like, they have to sit, even if they're in Seven Fingers, they have an act, they've trained by themselves or with a partner for a very long time, and it's their job to sell that, to market that to go to various other places and perform it and make sure they have what they need. Um, and dancers are basically the absolute opposite, which is what Lindsay was alluding to before, where everything's about group mentality and fitting into the group and the structure of the dance class and who's the choreographer and serving the choreographer's needs, uh, which is in a way closer to acting because in acting you're serving the playwright's needs. But the benefit that dancer circus has is that uh, your technical skill is much more objective, mm-hmm. particularly in circus. Like mm-hmm. you can juggle seven balls, you can juggle nine balls, or you can't. Mm-hmm. Dancing, you can either execute this choreography or you can't. Mm-hmm. Um, acting, you can either act it or you can't, and that's kind of everybody's opinion whether or not you pulled it off. Mm-hmm. Um, however, those things have like negatives to them. So in the circus way, the negative is that people are much more independent which is bad because it doesn't often have the same like positive group mentality people are much more isolated Mm -hmm. they could be harder to work with Mm -hmm. because they you know have had bad experiences trying to collaborate in the past so instead they become more authoritarian Mm -hmm. with their material Mm -hmm. uh with dancers it's it's so funny the biggest thing we noticed i think on beyond Babel was that say in a circus show uh there's uh a prop on stage from the previous scene that nobody has realized yet in the rehearsal process that needs to be taken off for the next act. In my world, in the circus, the person who's like, you know, doing their juggling act is like, shouts to somebody in the audience, like, hey, there's a prop on stage. Like, that's gotta get moved from my act. Or they, they like, you know, in a catty way, like go and pick it up and move it and make a point of like, this is a problem I'm gonna solve because it's messing up my thing. Mm-hmm. While in the dance community, at least that we've been working on for the last two years, it's everybody stands around and is like, who's who's gonna move the, who's gonna move the box? Yeah, they're like, uh, who will assign someone you know? to move this box? Mm-hmm. And it's much more like nobody wants to be the one to cause drama or do the mm-hmm. wrong thing or say anything wrong. Mm-hmm. So the box doesn't get doesn't moved get moved off. at all. <laughs> um, and you know, I don't have as much personal experience working strictly in plays or musicals, but I think in that case, uh, neither the circus performer or the dancer. Uh, moves the box, but they say, "Excuse me, that's the stage manager's stage job." Stage manager, yeah, yeah. Or, or, or you try to move it, and the stage manager comes, or uh, it's, its crew comes up. No, don't move that box. That's yeah. my—it's my job. Yeah. I'm in the union. Yeah. yeah, it's my job to move the box. But I you feel know? like, though, as an actor, you're always like, "Oh, if you see like a prop is fallen, like 
like, get a part of it or wait till the blackout and grab it, you know? Yeah. Like, get it off the stage. And the, I think but, that's just I think that's just good theater etiquette. I think, what, I, but and, I think sometimes you're not allowed to move it. No, you're not. You're in right. your house, like don't touch that broom. That's, <laughs> that's not your true. job. That's that chair, not your job, is, girlfriend. Exactly. Yeah, I think I think for me, there's two two ways, two ways to look at this stuff that we're talking about. Stuff like the business aspect, and then like the, the creative aspect. The business aspect is the dance stuff that I've done and the circus stuff that I've done. I've never had to audition. Mm. Right, like it's all just word of mouth. The only time I auditioned for anything circus was clown college. Everything else was like word of mouth. Right. Hey, this guy, that guy. Blah, blah, blah. And then same thing with dance is someone saw me do some clown stuff and they're like, hey, you should be in my dance company. And then and then, then that's kind of how it happened. I didn't have to audition for this guy, you know. And then but for TV and film and commercials and all this acting stuff is you have to audition. And not only are you auditioning, you're like, do you even look the part? Right. Like, often you just walk into the room and no, they already no. know right away. Like, it doesn't matter if you open your mouth and you're brilliant and funny, whatever. You don't, sorry, you just don't look like the guy that I have in my head and you're, right. and you're out of there. So there's that. Like, that's like the business aspect, which is why I'm so lucky to be part of the dance and circus community where, you know, people are looking out, you know, yeah. where, oh, I can't do this gig, but you know who would be great at it is this person. That doesn't happen in the acting world, at least the level that I have reached. You know, like maybe, maybe I'm not sure that ever happens. Yeah, no, I don't. I, don't, I, don't I heard like something about Hugh Jackman and uh, what was the name of that actor? I can't remember the name of the actor right now. But, but you know, to be honest, so, not to cut you off, I yeah. feel like dancers are actually also in that in that bucket to some degree, because circus performers have the the originality aspect. Mm. So mm. I can be like, oh yeah, you know, like I'm not available right for this gig. But, you know, I know Adam Kukler would be great for it. He's not exactly like me, but he has a lot of similar stuff, mm-hmm. a lot of different stuff. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to worry about Adam Kukler all of a sudden, after doing Big Apple, now taking all of your mm-hmm. roles as totally. being identified. Yep. While with a dancer, I think there's still also a good degree, not to the degree in acting, but a degree of, like, self-protectionism. Yeah. Um, I would say... That, and then there's the difference of, like, the, the competition, where I feel yeah. like, as an actor... So, you know, well, I don't want to tell that person about that audition because right. I want it. Right. Whether it's like, I, I tell everybody about auditions. Like, that, that's just, maybe that's just my nature. But that's like what the acting world feels like a little that's bit. That's why words. I got out of it. I hated it. It was like, oh, you're here. You you heard about this audition too? Yeah. And it's like, I hope she does a terrible audition so I can get the role. Yeah. You know, it was awful. And we all had the, I like, when I was at my agent, like, see, going and meeting with them and seeing all the other people they repped. On the wall, mm-hmm. and you're like, oh my god, she looks like me, she looks like me. Like, hopefully they're not sending all these people. I mean, it's just a horrible, a horrible... Part of that culture. Yeah. The audition sucks. Yeah. There's nothing fun about audition. No, it is soul-crushing. Yeah. And then you get it once in a blue moon, and you're like, oh my god, I'm doing so well, and then you do it again. <coughs> you know? You I just think whenever I book something for acting, I'm, I'm just going to get fired. <laughs> <laughs> like, they made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> you she know? is not good enough. Because it's really like, it's like winning the lottery when you get these acting gigs. It is like, it's just about numbers. The oh, more yeah. you go out, it does not matter how good your audition is. No. I've, I've gone into commercial audition and left and go, I have completely bombed that commercial. The next day, I'm I'm on set. Yeah. What? I know. Oh, okay. And they saw something. Right. I didn't the get any when, of the lines right. But. The worst was when they, they, you, ha- you have your audition and you're in there and you do your piece. And then they're like, 
can you sing anything else for us? And you're like, okay, they like me. So you sing something else. They're like, okay, like, can you sing a little bit of this piece from the show? Great. Can you do this monologue? Great. And they're like, okay, well, you'll hear from us. And you're like, I nailed that. Like, mm-hmm. I definitely, they loved me. Mm-hmm. I definitely got it. And then you don't hear from them. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what the fuck? Like, at least say no. So I'm not just like, and tell me why. Even if it's just like you didn't fit the part. Or fit the costume. Fit the costume. You know, yeah. Anything. And I think something that Josh and I try to do as producers and gate, quote unquote, gatekeepers, which is another term that was used every other sentence mm-hmm. on the summit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause there's this misconception that like people are gatekeepers and not just trying to like do their job mm-hmm. and also like create something good. Mm-hmm. But I always try to like write an email and it'll say like, especially if we know the person, like why, you know, like for beyond Babel, we had so many dancers and it was true. Like we literally just had so too many dancers and not enough roles. So that's a difference I think between like you're working on a specific project rather yeah. than there's casting directors that are working on seven, right. eight They don't have anything. T- they don't have time. No. True. Sorry, you didn't get that, but I'm I'm already on to the next show. Yeah, it's true. You know, but I was just like I remember being like I just want to know why I wasn't right. I, I've been very lucky that I've that I've been befriended a couple of casting directors. Yeah, and I'll and and sometimes I'll I'll be like, hey, whatever yeah. happened to that thing? And often it's they want someone older, they want right. someone fatter, they want yeah. person. You know, I feel like you sort of as much as you want to know, it's also like in a breakup where you like, <laughs> like why why did they break up with why me? Did they break it's up like you don't really want to know. It's because no, they like I don't do. like this aspect of your personality, or they don't find you X, Y, or Z. Yeah, but for me, like, I can rationalize it. Then you know, well, like okay, well I didn't get it because I don't know what like they didn't like. Although if if I heard they didn't like my voice or something, then I'd be like. I think what we have to start to remember also is like as artists, like there's a reason why you're in the room to begin with. You've earned. Maybe just like got up early, signed up. <laughs> no, in but some you, cases that's enough. That's a, exactly. But also, you also like studied this stuff. It's yeah. not like you're like you're one day like I want to go be in a musical. It's like fair. no, you studied you studied singing, you studied dancing, you know all these. Things. So it's like you've earned the right to be in front of these people. At the end of the day, sometimes you fit the character, sometimes right. you don't fit the character. But but to like put like self worth on like if you're being cast by something, I it's know. like it's that's why I had to get. I was like, I don't. I found myself doing it, and I was like, I gotta. I, some people can do it. Like, do you, you pin your self worth to anything? To pin your self worth to anything as far as like, I don't know, noticeable. Yeah, I mean, like I think. Uh... I think as a young person, I, I I I cared what people thought of you. Yeah, yeah. I just I just want to at this point. I just want to be respected in the community. I just want to be known as the guy that can get the job done. Um, I don't really care about reviews. I don't really care if I you know bomb a certain night. I just want people to think, oh, Mark is a trustworthy guy. Mark does a great job. Mm-hmm. Not only that, but Mark's cool to be around. I think that's like half half the reason I get yeah. gigs because I'm just not a, a horrible nice person. person. Yeah. yeah. I'm just yeah. nice to be around. At the end of the day, that's like what it comes down to. And you're easy on the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, that's like a, I, I have that a lot too. Like I just want to, I think it's also from the acting. Yeah. It's like, I just want everyone to like me and I want to please everyone and have everyone never have a negative thought about me. But now transitioning into a position of unavoidable negative, unavoidable thoughts. negative thoughts as a producer. Right. Because Regardless of what you do, you're gonna be upsetting someone. When you're in charge, That's you're right. someone is always gonna hate That's you. Right. And it's been so hard for me. I, I, 
you know, Johnny Depp was on like the actors access thing, whatever. Not actors, actors. You know, when they talk inside the actors. Oh yeah, yeah. What's his name? Lipton. Lipton. Yeah, James Lipton. And you know, it's a really weird interview. You know, he's a weird dude. But the one thing that he said that really ring ring true to me because he started comparing um, actors to peaches. <laughs> you can be the most delicious, juiciest peach ever, but some people don't like peaches. Yeah, it's true. The end. You know, yeah. it's yeah. like you're not gonna be able to please everybody. <laughs> right. You know? Period. You could be a great artist. You're not gonna please everyone. No. That's just what it comes down yeah. to. And I feel like something that I learned in Australia. From this other couple who was uh, had a show on before ours called, Let's see if you can remember it. We really wanted that on the podcast, but they're like two super duper hippie grungy. I think it's Joe and Simon are their names. Yes. Um, art circus artists who, when they were younger, were doing hand to hand together, and are now like probably in their sixties. And most of the show is like clowning, mm. and uh, I didn't love it. I didn't. This is. But I I could appreciate it. This like, is I, not funny or or. Yeah, like, it was. It was called you something like, like this. It was called something like this. Yeah, oh, it's already like that. Okay, yeah, it's funny. It's already you already go into it. They set your expectations that you won't like it. Yeah. This is title. not for everyone. Yeah, it's called. This is not for everyone. Cool. And it really was not for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's really, true. Really, it's true. Succeeded. Yes. Um, but they, they said, you know, we invited them to see our show, and I think they were saying this in a nice way, but they were like, oh yeah, great, you know, like we don't love like all of our friend shows, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, that is such a great, even though it's like. You could interpret it like, oh, they're being dick by saying that and saying, like, we're not going to like your thing or, like, I don't like other people's things. It's like, yeah, exactly. Like, you don't need to like peaches. You know, you don't need yeah. to like everything. Yeah. Uh, and you can still be friends with people yeah. and get along. Yeah. Get so along hey and go peaches. along. Yeah. yeah. There's, it just becomes a level of respect, right? The appreciation. Where it's that, like That's it, exactly. It goes back to the respect thing. Yeah. I think that's the thing everybody really wants is respect. Like, I don't mind being people being... uh angry at me i'm definitely better at it than than Lindsay is strictly by the not having the acting you don't like thing. it when people get angry oh, i hate when people are angry at me it makes me like physically uncomfortable mm -hmm. like, um vast, like it hurts my core it's funny yeah, yeah it's and i feel like i've just i just have like a personality or a face that some people just my whole life don't like me from my personality or face so i'm like it's fine some people just don't like me you know that's no 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 skin off my back right. you know right. like that's your loss if you don't like exactly me. um but I think, yes, I think it's a good point, pinning it pinning it to respect other people respecting you. Yeah. It's nothing you can really control, though. Going back to the clowning thing of thinking that you're, like, a, a to me, an American clown for American audiences, which I think is a good thing. I don't, I'm not saying that sure. as a bad thing. But these clowns, Joe and Simon, their whole show, they're Australian, and their whole show was starting, like, with a set that was totally done and then during the course of the show is deconstructed and ripped apart where it ended with them naked mud wrestling mm -hmm. the whole set like collapsed and then it was just them with mud mm -hmm. naked mm -hmm. wrestling mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that's how it ended and typical show for everybody <laughs> yeah <laughs> typical show for everybody but it was like an amazing you know it was a 300 seat house and they had audiences of 12 every every show wow and it was really because it was really not for everyone yeah but i really appreciated that they were so true to their voice yeah. and that i think was like an example of doing it for the art yeah not for anything else right but if 
I was the whole time I was watching. I was like, this would just have been like, I think people in America would have been like, wow, like if it was a bam. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's also the context of like where it where is. You're it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I still stand by that. I think you're an American. That's cool. Clown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Do you cool. Any tattoos. No tattoos, but I've always wanted to get. So I'm a, I'm the year of the dragon. Oh, me too. So I always wanted to get like a not. You're the year of the dragon. Yeah. What year so are you? Are you? No, I'm the year of the sheep, but you definitely, oh, right. you dragon. definitely have dragon energy. Eighty-eight. Oh, oh. I'm seventy-six. Okay. Uh, so I want to get like a really gnarly, badass dragon, like on my back, but with a red clown nose. Nice. Oh, cool. Josh is getting in. Uh, wants to get a clown tattoo. I do. Yeah, that clown, like, lame. Oh, the one, it's a dead clown tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not exactly what it sounds like. It's it's based off of an old painting. But, um... I'm gonna make sure I'm a dragon. Because when we went to, uh, where were we? In Hong Kong? Yeah. Yeah, They go to the temple, and it's like, what year were you born? Uh, And I'm... You might be... Yep, you're the dragon. dragon. It's a 12-year cycle, I think. Mm -hmm. So are you 12 years older than me? Yes. (gasps) Didn't we just figure that out? Yeah, I just I didn't do the math. Yeah, 76. Yeah, man. Oh, um, man. So we should Hardly. do the 12-year challenge? No, she <laughs> Wow, can you imagine that? Right. 12 years. I was 12 when you were born. Yeah. Something a little weird, speaking of age, that will maybe has already started happening to you or will continue to happen as you do more and more circus throughout your life yep. is that you're going to increasingly become the oldest person because, and this is not yeah. anything negative, just numbers, but yeah. circus people like, time out at typically 35 max it's like tom brady scenario yep. right like one person yep. who's an actual athlete after not an athlete but who is their their they make their money based off of essentially their athleticism but is that true with clowns or like... that's the point i'm making oh. is that soon mark is going to be doing big apple or whatever else and the gap will, will continue to probably it's grow already, it's already happened yeah yeah man adam and i are one of the oldest people here for mm-hmm. sure there's one or two other in Cirque du Soleil, I was, there was an acrobat, um, and then there was, like, a, a technician's kid, and the technician's kid was, like, three or four or something. I was, this, and here I am hanging out with the acrobat, who is an accomplished acrobat. We are the same distance of age as he was to this four-year-old kid. <laughs> and I was, like, oh, 20, like, 20 years difference. And I'm, like, this is nuts. Like. Yeah. In 20 years, this acrobat's going to be hanging out with this four-year-old kid drinking beers like I'm drinking beers with him now. Well, probably not, because the odds of a 40-year-old acrobat having a job <laughs> in such a place is, is next is, to zero. It is next to zero. That's true. Although there no, was... No, are there Atherton twins? Like, in their... There, there are exceptions. There are exceptions. There are exceptions to any rule. But generally speaking, and, the rule yeah, is right, like right. The, the vast majority of people are, are young. That's true. You're right. Clowns have a more of a shelf life, for sure. Yeah, which is always... An animal is, right? right? Which is always crazy to me why acrobats don't make as much money as clowns, where it's like, well, their lifespan is much mm-hmm. shorter. They you don't think be. acrobats make as much money as... I feel like clowns get the most shafted, at least in certain circuits. Ringling is a great example of Ringling them being is the perfect, bottom of the totem pole. Everybody gets paid crap on Ringling back in the day. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, I think in the more of the... Cirque du Soleil's and the Big Apples and European European clown European circuses, clowns are the top of the food chain. Hmm. Um, I definitely know there's certain cases for sure. Something like absinthe, that's the case. You know where the clown is so pivotal to the pivotal, pivotal to the 
storyline of mm-hmm. the show. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was under. Is there a need for a ringmaster? I don't think so. No offense, Stephanie. Uh, I, edgy. But I know, but it's like the clowns are talking. Mm-hmm. Maybe when, maybe they were useful mm-hmm. when clowns didn't talk. Mm-hmm. But clowns are talking. And do we really need like another person who's not? I don't know. I just. Don't do you know where clowns not talking comes from? No. You want to tell me? Does Mark know? Uh, I'm, I'm assuming because they couldn't talk. You like, mean because they, of it, like there was no microphones and things like this? No, no. So what happened was, I believe it was in France, but they, in the same way there's like union houses as there are now, mm-hmm. there were specific houses that you could not, um, it was basically categorized as a play or musical if you were talking and you had to do certain union rules and taxes and mm-hmm. there was just like rules in place for talking on mm-hmm. stage. So the way uh, circuses and like vaudevillian theaters and these places like in the 1800s got around that was just being like, fine, we'll nix the talking. Really? And that's what starts this European tradition of no talking clowns. Yeah. And now European clowns, you can't stop from talking. No, yeah. no, they talk. Or they do gibberish. Or gibberish, which always drives me a little nuts. Oh, that's, that's what drives me nuts in Sir, with Sir Clowns. Thank you. Sorry. Not at all. I had a debate with when I was coming into Sir, and I was like, so you, the, the the director's like, you have to talk more gibberish. And I'm like, well, I'm already talking a lot of gibberish. Why do you need more gibberish? Well, you need to fill the empty sound in the tent. And I'm like, well, I wouldn't be saying anything. Gibberish should just be an exchange of the actual words that would have been said. Right. And so Otherwise, it's just noise. Isn't there a technique also to gibberish? Like, yeah. of how to make it sound believable? Yeah, I'm not very good at it. I'm not even going to, like, <laughs> attempt thing, it for you right now. The one but... thing Jesse Dryden, who's a, another clown, yeah. told me, who has worked on Cirque, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, said that the trick is to the trick is to say the last word of what the other person says first. Oh. So if you were like, Ixie Bixie Boodle, you'd be like, Boodle, and then say whatever. So it sounds like you're keeping you're responding to that person's yeah. word. Yeah, the yeah. gibberish is so stupid, though, really. It's like a clown with a whistle, right? Like, yes. if they're just blowing the just whistle. noise. Like, hey, yeah. you know, it's just, if you can if you can do it non-verbally, do it non-verbally. Right. If you need to say something, well, say something. Whether or not it's gibberish or actual words. Right. That's That was the giant debate I had when I was... <laughs> When I was jumping in the circle. Because don't you feel like not yeah. playing a truthful moment exactly. also? Like, That's exactly right. Actually, like I'm so focused on saying not anything right. real. Right. I, I, from the first show where I was like aware of circus enough to to have my own opinion on it. Like, why does the circle always say like nothing? Yep. It doesn't make any sense to me. And also I don't like when it's like. Yeah, yeah. The like grunting or like just grunting, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm like just you're trying to make a sound, right? Just say say something, right? It's like when clowns also like mouth words, yeah, and they're not actually like saying anything. Yeah, it's like well, if you need to mouth something, then you should just, just like, say, say it. Say it, right? Right. I always think of like you know in a musical, you are talking and then you can't say say the words anymore so you have to sing it mm. and then you can't sing it anymore so you have to dance it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's the same thing with clowning you know it's like you're doing something and if you don't have the movement to to get what you need to say out then say it that's right so that's right if yeah. i ever see you gibbering <laughs> it might be in a certain you know, like, you know so the you alluded in the beginning to working on a book oh yeah let's talk about your book <sighs> Yes, so I, I, I last couple of years, I, every once in a while, I'll sit down and write it, work on it. 
Uh, I'm calling it the Tao of Clowning. Nice. Cute. So I'm taking my my philosophy and techniques of, of martial arts and my studies of clowning and I'm kind of smashing them together and it's you know it's essentially how to be create you know it's like any of the other Dow books and Dow motorcycle and all that stuff where it's like it's just about how to be creative you yeah. know um, and that's basically what this what this book is about it's how to make stuff mm-hmm. and and get out of your own way and be creative and and I feel like uh, it's the kind of thing where it's like everybody's an artist like even if you're an accountant there's an artistry to being an accountant to understanding the laws and having the laws work with what you're, you know, it's, it's, yeah it's what we do in a different way, you know? So, um, that's basically the book smashing those two ideas together. How far through the writing process? Are uh, I, I'm, um, uh, I've got a first draft right now. I'm calling it, uh, the Dav clowning slash 79 pages of bullshit. <laughs> um, so the first draft is there and then every once in a while I'll give it to someone and be like, what do you think? Like, well, we need more of this and less of that. And I'll do some more. And so right now there's, yeah, that's where I am right now. Nice. Well, I look forward to our bookshelf. Yeah, you guys. Um, well, where are we at with time? Let's take a look. We've, we've talked for we a good amount of time. Hour 40. That's yeah. Pretty decent. We're nice yeah. Why don't we uh, slowly wrap it up? Yeah. Do you feel like you've gotten everything out you wanted to get out? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> sure. We'll come back. Yeah, come back. Um. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, next time you'll come to our place. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. See your dogs. See the dogs yeah. in the studio. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, come up with a new show. Yeah, you guys. Oh, yeah, that's what we need to do is like make yes. something. Yeah. For real. I know. I get. You I heard like, it here first. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I love making stuff. <sighs> that's why I do it. It is. It's fun. Though, like getting into a flow of a show is great, and it's like I know now, but I like love the creation process. Yeah. Whereas Josh is actually. Maybe a little bit more into the business of it. Business of it, which we've also found out the last like what two years. Yeah. Is I'm more interested in the or like I'm not more interested, but I definitely enjoy the creation process mm-hmm. and the like sitting through figuring out how to make it work, like mm-hmm. the show. Mm-hmm. And Josh is I think when we thought we were opposite and now Josh is much more like I thought I couldn't I couldn't find validation in uh the quality of the show. Like I can find validation in like the business being run smoothly, it making money, everybody getting paid, solving people's problems. Mm-hmm. But, uh, where I'm like, I need to where, fix this like you. Where I'm like, mm-hmm. A, I just don't want to sit in tech and be like, the show's amazing and everybody's saying it's great. I still feel it like the end of the day, even if I think it's great, I'm like, I'm happy everybody thinks it's great. Mm-hmm. But it, I don't, I can't, it's still just people with laptops, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. writing Yelp reviews. That's mm-hmm. really all it is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, but that's, it's good. That's, we that's, need, that's we need for, all of that. Yeah. We need well, that's you guys. You compliment each other. Yeah. You know? that's yeah. Um, okay. What's the f- I've, we haven't asked these questions in so long. The first question is, has there been a piece of advice, really good or really bad, that somebody has given with you that has stuck with you or you want to share? A piece of advice. Oh, my God. Uh, wow. I mean, yeah, just be just be a nice person. Be a good person. Learn people's names. Mm. Like know who people are. That's that are a great. Around you. That's a great one. That's Do you have any tricks remembering people's names? Yeah, I mean, like I, I try to compare them with someone else that I love in my family, in my life. You know, like oh, that person is like this person. This person is like that person. That's how I also, incidentally, how I pick audience members. Oh, really? By someone who reminds you of someone you love. Not necessarily someone I love, but if, like if I saw someone that looked like Josh in the audience, I'd go. 
he'd be good volunteer, but you know what? Josh doesn't want to be on stage, so I'm not going to pick that guy. <laughs> yeah, I always you get know? picked, though. You I have pick. that kind of face, but I wouldn't yeah. pick you. Thank you. <laughs> that, but, but that's that. the kind of, yeah. yeah. I go, oh, that person's like this guy. Oh, he's like my uncle. He'd be really funny. Um, yeah, I got so picked funny. by David Shiner four times at the yeah, same show. Just every time I went back, I was and like, he, like he has like face, face amnesia. Yeah. Like he'll realize it after. He's like, oh my god, I picked, I picked you on stage. Or he'll remember that he met you somewhere. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But you're good on stage. So, second question. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the second question? Second question is, is there a book or a movie or a show, just a reference that you would recommend to a student of the arts? Um, I, I like Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do, the Tao of Jeet Kune Do. How do you, do you know how you spell that? Or like the, the Dao, T A O, Dao of Jeet Kune Do. J E T, J E E, Jeet Kune, I don't remember. Is that how you're going to spell your book? Well, Dao is spelled T A O for sure. Yeah, but, um, uh, that's yeah. going to be confusing. No, no there's, all, there's all these Dow books. Is it, though? Because I, I didn't know how to spell the it. The Dow of Motorcycle. Uh, is, that's the play. Well, of... when people, like, Google it, I guess they can... We'll you know, see. It's the whole Google thing, isn't yeah. it? But uh, the reason why I like this book so much is because the idea of... Back in the day, you know, uh, there was a competition of what martial art, like, was better. What's oh, the well. best... Mo- well, this one's can kick that one's out. And Bruce Lee's philosophy was well you need a little bit of everything he was the first mixed martial artist oh if you read this and uh that's why i think it's important because if you're going to be a great artist you need a little bit of everything you mm-hmm. can't just learn one discipline and i think the dev you can do does a really good job of explaining that and demonstrating how that and that is and that's kind of like a little bit about my book as well where i kind of give like people like workout regiments of how to like make clown routines cool nice you should also have like exercises in your book of like how you approach a clown. I'm sure you'd probably do. Yep. Like write down these things. Yep. I always find those books that are the most helpful are like where it's like do this. Yep. Like just try this exercise. Just try. Yeah. I have a I have an outline. I call it the uh, the uh, rock ballad version of writing a clown routine. Uh-huh. But like you know, in the back in the '80s, there was a there was a formula too. Okay, there's the chorus, the verse, and the guitar solo, right? And you just plug in into yeah, that Yeah, it's like format. A, B, A, right. C, right. A, whatever. Right. I so, don't know that in music theory. So with a, oops, so with a, <laughs> oh, with a clown routine, like if you can figure out how to just like plug it, plug it in with that, and just see what you got. Oh, of course, these things are made to be broken because yeah. there's jazz music and everything like this. Be, but this is just a place to start. Yeah. So that's what that's one of the. Re- Rules and guidelines are a great place to start, start. a creation. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's very hard when you have no, no, no rules or guidelines. Um, okay, last question is, yes. who do you think we should have on the podcast? Whoa. And it's a big one. It doesn't have to be circus related. It doesn't have to be circus related. And Robert De Niro does not get on. <laughs> <laughs> someone uh, someone yeah, that, that, that can actually get that on. you could talk to. Yeah, awesome. Oh, uh, my goodness. This is a great question. I would say, um, uh, this is going to sound crazy, but I have a guy that um, I busted my knee a little bit. And, and anyway, so he's a physical therapist. Cool. His name is Johan. I don't know what his last name is. But anyway, he is like a, not just, he, 
like he has a really beautiful approach of a body and taking care of your body and how to we should totally have a physical therapist on although there's this physical therapist who works on our show in san diego yeah. and he's so hot yeah. <laughs> it's dr distra- don and his name is don is so it's dr don lots of people are injured don. all the time yeah i was like, like dr don my neck is so tired from watching the show can you help me mm-hmm. and he's like sure mm-hmm. so but i don't think i could talk to dr don because i'd be so uh you know nervous Un- unflustered yeah so maybe we talk to johan <laughs> yeah 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 but I think that's an interesting way to go, you know, where I feel like you can not just help artists and physical performers, but everybody, you know. That's a good, good uh, suggestion. Thanks. So you have a show in what, two hours? An hour? Oh. Yeah. That's a like seven, that. right? Seven o'clock show. So I'll go hit the gym, warm my body up again. Is and, there a gym uh, on site? No. <laughs> There's a New York sports club right, in front, right around the street that I go to here. That's the one thing I miss on on this show. We're in Cirque. It was like a gym, right? right you know, right behind the stage. Yeah, right behind the stage. So you're yeah. always working out. Yeah. But here it's not like that. No. Here, Stay this is my job. Upper body day, lower body day. Today is a chest day. Chest day. Mm-hmm. Well, good luck with on this <laughs> pet. <laughs> Thanks, oh man. You, you, know, if you, you know, if you want. Josh to... needs to work out his pecs. He lost them after stopping yeah. doing circus. My boobs are just shrinking. Oh my god! <laughs> I can use a spot. Let's go, dude. Yeah, great. <laughs> Catch you on the uh, flip side. <laughs> Mark, thank you so much for being here. Uh, thank you, guys. Thanks Yay. for having us at your trailer. Anytime. Yay. And that was our interview with Mark Gendick. If you like our podcast, make sure to like us on Facebook, like us on Instagram, or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, tweet us, or email us at hello at hideawaycircus.com. Thanks, guys. And check out our new show, Beyond Babel. The website's beyondbabelshow.com. You can get tickets there. Miss Behave Game Show, of course, is always playing in Las Vegas. You can check that out on the missbehavegameshow.com. Bye.